Welcome to episode 319 with my guest, Polly David. Uh, you know, we love having uh, great advertisers on the show, but in order to keep doing that, I need your guys' help. So if you wouldn't mind taking a survey uh, so that uh, advertisers can see what uh, demographic listens to, to our show, that would greatly uh, help advertising and uh, etc. So if you could go to podsurvey.com slash mentalpod and take a quick, totally anonymous survey, uh, that'll really, really help. And um, if you've ever taken the show's podcast listener survey before, uh, this current one is new and uh, it's different than the last one. So uh, again, please, it really, really helps me. And uh, plus, once you complete the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. So again, that's podsurvey.com slash mentalpod. And that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash mentalpod. And uh, really, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Uh, I'm not a therapist. Uh, it's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for the show is mentalpod.com, and there you can take all kinds of other anonymous surveys that I might read uh, on the air. You guys have been so kind over the years. You've filled out thousands and thousands and thousands of these, and they give me so many fantastic things to to be able to read, and uh, I really appreciate it, and please, please keep doing it. Uh, I had an interesting week. I did I did a show um, that it, it hasn't aired yet, but I did... Um, the show Risk. It's a great uh, podcast and live show. And I've had Kevin Allison. Uh, he's the host of the show. I had him on as a guest a couple of weeks ago. And the theme of the show, um, the gist of Risk is that it's a storytelling show and you go and you talk about something that is feels risky to you to talk about. And so when Kevin invited me to do the show, um, I thought, what do I want to talk about? And of course, you know, the thing that I always feel like I've been put on this earth to talk about is uh, the stuff that happened to me as a as a kid, the covert incest stuff, because it doesn't get talked about. There's so much um, ignorance uh, about it, and so many people um, who've experienced it and can't put a finger on why they feel the way they do. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll I'll go tell that story. But it's always different when I go tell that story in front of somebody other than you guys or my support group. And it scares the fuck out of me. And the first time I did it, I did it on a storytelling show called Taboo Tales. And it totally caught me off guard. And as I was telling my story... My knees were shaking, my voice was quivering, and afterwards I just wanted to run and hide. And a guy a guy came up to me, and I was like fighting back tears, and after the show I'm just hiding from everybody, and this guy from the audience came up to me, and he said, thank you for telling your story tonight. I have never heard my story until tonight. 
and I didn't comfort him. I was like, I said, can I have a hug? And, and this guy just, we hugged and I just started crying on his shoulder and it felt so good because in that moment I realized just because I'm uncomfortable, um, talking about this and other people are uncomfortable hearing it, it doesn't mean it's not worth doing. So I decided to do that again on uh, uh, Saturday night at uh, the live performance of Risk here in, in Los Angeles. And um, and I was nervous and nervous before, uh, pretty nervous during, but less nervous than the, than the first time. My knees didn't shake, but my voice did shake a little bit. And it was, you know, some of the people before me were very funny and they had humor throughout their thing and I had almost no humor throughout mine. And after I got off stage, I had that feeling again, like I just took a shit in front of a hundred people. And while I know I have nothing to be ashamed of, it's still, uh, it's such a, it's so it, it's such an exposing feeling um, and not having a person come up to me afterwards and say, "You told my story, I just felt really alone, and I was supposed to hang out with a buddy uh that night and and I called him and I said man i just I just can't be around people uh." Right now, I just really kind of want to go be by myself. And he totally understood. Um, and I guess I say this um, in case there's anybody out there who who is at war with their feelings. You know, you're like my conscience tells me, keep telling your story. But my body sometimes will say, why are you putting us through this? Um And then a part of my brain tells me, well, you're doing it because you want attention, because you want sympathy, uh, you know, uh, you know, on and on, all the, the, the whole mean tape that it, that it always plays. Um, so if, if somebody's out there and you're, and you're struggling to tell your story and your knees shake and your voice shakes and, and the whole time you're telling it, you're afraid that somebody is going to say, you, you liar or you exaggerator or that never happened or that wasn't that bad or the thousand other things you're afraid people are going to say, you're not alone in having that experience when you when you share your story but i think if you can do it and it feels safe enough i think it's important for us to talk about this because this shit needs to be talked about in a way that is real and as uncomfortable as it is it sometimes needs the details because the details and i don't mean graphic but you know i i I shared some stuff that was really fucking, um, I think I, in fact, I think I shared something that I'd never even shared on the podcast before. And afterwards I was like, why did I fucking share that? 
And there's part of me that hopes that the he doesn't air the episode. And there's a part of me that wants it to. And it's just, it's it's a fucking war. And people that have never experienced stuff like this, I think they think that the worst part of being violated is when it's happening. When in reality, it's the wake, the years, the ripples. That's the worst part. That's the constant mind fuck. Um, anyway, um, you know, and I think I've also been in some shame recently because um, I shared on the last week's podcast that that um, somebody had had kind of uh, shamed me because um, I struggle with boundaries sometimes, and I just always assume other people are as comfortable talking about shit as I am. Or, you know, me uh, sharing parts of myself with them. And, and a lot of people aren't. And that's that's not a good thing on my part. And I'm really trying to work on it. And honestly, there are some times when, when I start to share something with a woman who feels safe to me. Um... And I think I make her kind of the mother I never had or wanted, the mother I always wanted. And it, it doesn't matter what age she is. It's more about the, well, I mean, you know, she's an adult. Um, it's, it's more the, their warmth is like the thing that, that I just want, that I've craved since I was a little boy. But, then, like, my adrenaline starts going, my heart starts beating fast, I start talking more and more, my boundaries get sl- slippery, and then sometimes I just, I fuck up, and I talk too much, and I, you know, maybe say something that's that's uh, inappropriate, or, and and I fucking hate it. I fucking hate it. And I was talking to my therapist uh, this week, And she said something to me that I had never thought about before. She said, what do you feel when you get to that place where sometimes you talk too much or you share too much? And I said, my heart's beating. Um, I feel really awake. I feel super focused. Um, I feel, I just feel alive. And she said, well, maybe... When you get to that point in the future, take a deep breath and whoever it is that you're talking to, just share with them that I think I might be getting triggered right now. You know, maybe my addictive personality is, is being triggered. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to kind of quiet down and pull back a little bit because I don't want to, um, overshare and and she said and then listen just listen to what that other person says and it had never occurred to me i think i'm such a control freak that i i want to control the whole thing and in my mind i think well if i just do it perfectly then that's okay 
But that's completely, that's not okay. And, I, and, and don't worry, I'm not, I know you guys always say, oh, you beat, you beat yourself up so much. This is, this is more of, this isn't me beating myself up. This is, this is self-reflection with a hint of, uh, you know, recrimination or, or shame. So it's, it's, it's progress. And I wanted to share that little victory, uh, with you, with you guys. And, um, I, Here's a plug for the, the, my therapist and the, uh, service that, that I use because they sponsor the show. Um, I found her at betterhelp.com and, um, I love her. Her name's Donna Keen and she fucking rocks and she gets me and, um, I, I just, I really like working with her and, um, I also got a really cool email from, uh, a listener who's a, he's an awesome, supporter of the show. His name's Tristram. And uh, he sent me an email and he said, uh, just did my first therapy on BetterHelp. Holy shit. Cried. And the therapist had an amazing insight that is a huge deal for me. So thanks, Paul. And, uh, you know, it it's, um, it's nice to have um, a sponsor that I, that I, um, that I like, that I use. And, so if you want to try online therapy, go to uh, betterhelp.com slash mental and uh, complete their questionnaire, and then you'll get matched with a, a betterhelp.com counselor. And then you can uh, check out a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is uh, is your bag. Uh, you need to be over 18, but uh, I highly recommend it. I think it's worth, uh, worth checking out. Um, hey, uh, we got a new sponsor. Stamps.com. I don't know about you, but uh, I hate going to the post office, and you don't have to. Uh, if you go to Stamps.com and check it out, anything that you could do at the post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, so you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. Uh, they sent me a, a trial package, a little five-pound scale, plugs right into the laptop. You download the software, and within minutes, I was printing out stamps, uh, uh, you know, uh, stamps for letters, uh, stamps for larger packages. Um, really, really cool. Simple to use. Highly recommend it awesome for small businesses. And um, right now, if you use my code MENTAL for this special offer, you get a four-week trial. It includes postage and that digital scale I told you about. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and then type in MENTAL. That's stamps.com. Enter the code MENTAL. Don't forget about the little microphone. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. I uh, forgot to mention, too, that this interview with uh, Pauly David was recorded in July. Um, and sometimes I'm uncomfortable when I air something uh, that that was recorded a long time ago, and then my life has changed since then because I have this stupid fear that people are going to point to an inconsistency in my life and think I'm making stuff up. Oh, I'm a fucking nut job. All right. 
This is from the uh, What Has Helped You survey, and this was filled out by uh, Chell Bell, and she struggles with PTSD, um, borderline personality disorder, trichotillomania, depression, and overall anxiety. And what has helped her? Uh, find a way to get outside of your head. I paint, color, yoga, friendship. I've also found that my issues come out to play less after I handle them better when I take better care of my body. Take vitamins, drink water, eat regularly, shower, sleep. It's stupid, simple stuff, but trust me, your body needs it to cope. What have people said or done that has helped you? Validating helps. I was abused most of my life, and sometimes I give it weight, like right now. Um, That's her words. Uh, But most of the time, I question myself. My sister reflects me. We reassure each other that we aren't crazy or over-exaggerating our memories. It's priceless. That has to be very, very comforting. Uh, Any comments or suggestions to make the podcast better? Uh, Paul, I love you. You're amazing and wonderful and provide an invaluable service. That being said, last year my computer broke and I had to start listening to your podcast through the player on your website on my phone. It's a very flawed player. Every time someone brings this to your attention, you suggest we simply use iTunes. iTunes is not available on Android devices and it drives me nuts when you say it as a cure-all. I wanted to let you know that CastBox is a podcast app that I've recently found that works excellent and does have the mental illness happy hour. Feel free to try it out or try some other apps, but please, if you're going to write off the website player and suggest iTunes instead, throw us Android users a bone too. Um, I mention it because, like I said, your service is invaluable. It honestly does save lives, and I don't want anyone to miss out on it because the website player is having a bad day and they don't happen to have an Apple device. Thank you again for everything you do. Sorry if this upset you at all. Did not upset me at all. I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that um, because I did not know that. I thought uh, anybody uh, can use uh, iTunes on their phone. So thank you for mentioning that. And uh, so CastBox, I've not used it, but uh, those of you with Android phones, go go check that out. Um, And then this is uh, same survey, what has helped you, filled out by a teenager. She calls herself Lavender. And her issues, uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD, autism, coping with past sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. Um, and, uh, oh, in the past, some kind of eating disorder or self-harm combo. Weight was never the primary focus. I starved myself as a punishment for not being academically good enough. What has helped you deal with it? Writing characters with similar experiences me, uh, experiences as me, writing in a journal, watercolor painting, drawing in my sketchbook, any kind of creative production makes me feel like I'm worth something. Learning to make noises. I was never allowed to express emotions in my home to the point where laughter and crying was punished. I've started laughing loudly and it feels like I'm letting go of all the joy I felt like I had to keep inside. I'm also letting myself sob instead of let tears trickle down my cheeks. I've learned that my feelings matter to myself and others and that letting them out through laughter or crying is a way of expressing that joy or sadness. What have people said or done that has helped you? I told my story, the whole story, while my best friend and I laid in a darkened dorm room. I told them about the abuse, my mother's rapid mood swings, the periods of neglect I experienced. They were quiet for a moment. Then they said, 
That's a lot of trauma to deal with. It was all I needed for someone to say my trauma is valid and that I'm struggling. A person who would talk about my trauma with me without elevating my mother's struggles and motivations for abusing me over my own trauma. It was the first time I felt someone give weight to my experiences without some kind of catch, and it was beautiful. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting and different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akansai in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm here with Polly David, who I met through Twitter originally, and um, you do the Polly and Monks show with uh, your partner, uh, who, your nickname for him is, is Monks? Actually, it's our nickname for each other. For each other. Okay. But, you know, what we started as just audio, now we're video, but we started as just audio, and we feared that we were going to sound too much alike, so we differentiate. And, and you guys have been um, a couple for how long? Five and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you were nice enough to have me on your show uh, a week Thank or you for two coming. ago. It was, uh, I loved it. It was fun. It was We've fun. We've had really good feedback about your appearance. People talking okay. about mostly the uh, covert incest that, that you were dude, discussing. Dude, it's just such a big thing. So many people um, email and say... I never realized until I listened to this show why this I'm this way, why I'm this way, why I feel this way, why. And I always recommend the book Silently Seduced, which will will explain so many things. Yeah, in our station, even the the host that comes on after us was in the green room, just like salivating, just watching our show, like, oh my god, my father, that's my father. Oh, never wow. realizing because you know you you pigeonhole things into certain categories like you were talking about and it's you don't consider it incest but it, you know it, it is, is a form a, of it it is a form of it never you know everything's on a on a continuum and, absolutely uh, it's not a contest <laughs> i kind of think of it like i kind of think of mental health in general but also you know the various things that have affected us in our lives like incest molestation whatever it is on a spectrum the same way sexuality is yes yeah yeah I, I I totally agree, um, and it's. And I say this all the time in the podcast, but it it's 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 not a contest. It doesn't matter whether something is prosecutable. Um, it, it's your feelings that are valid, and it's about healing uh, those feelings, not about uh, 
seeking justice, at least, you know, right now. It's, yeah. Um, so let's talk about your story. I was thinking it would be an interesting thing to uh, start with the fears, but first tell uh, the people you're how old? I'm 40. I okay. just turned 40 this year. I have never said that, like, publicly. Yeah. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 40. And you look great. Thank uh, you. I, was, I told these guys when I was doing their podcast, I was like, oh, God. Yeah, we're I, old men. I, I, feel, <laughs> I thought you guys were in your 20s, so you're, you're uh, taking good care of Well, yourself. I'll be getting Botox on the air this week, so <laughs> we'll see. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything now, but yeah, we try to take care of ourselves. Yeah. You know, I think gay people like look younger. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think in the, uh, the gay community, there is certainly uh, more of, um, maybe it's just... Uh, a Los Angeles thing, but uh, there is a lot of taking care of one's physical. Yeah, I mean, appearance, I think, uh, being you know working out uh, things like that. I mean, I know sure. that sounds like a generalization, but no. But I think a lot of things are influenced by Hollywood and media, and I think a lot of that starts here. So I think that might okay. be what it's from. I mean, I've gained a lot of weight in the past five years, but, you know, when I travel outside of Los Angeles, I'm like a god. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, everything I say like that's a joke, so, like, they you know, know. They, they know, know. I know, yeah. they know. By the way, Paul, like, uh, set some mood lighting up in here, so I'm feeling really comfortable. Good. <laughs> um, I had Bill Cosby set your drink up. Oh, thank so, you. yeah, we're good to go. Thank you. <laughs> let's, uh, let's start with some some fears. Mm. All right. Okay. Fear. I fear that I will never be able to be the partner that I feel my fiance deserves. Wow. Out of the gate swinging. What area do you feel that you're lacking? Um, we're very, very different people. So he has a, like a very literal like logical background analytical he went to mit he wow. went to berkeley what? he went to loyola he has two masters i did like a semester at junior college my iq is higher though but um, <laughs> <laughs> i just fear like we're we're so different that you know i'm terrible with money so i i just i think it's an irrational fear but mm. it's it's a fear of not being able to be as good as what i think he deserves because he could be dating a doctor, and here he is with you know an entertainer, and it's a different lifestyle. It's a much different lifestyle. I mean, I, we've been together a long time now. I think he's acclimated. But and how many years did you say? Five and a half years. Five and now. a half years. Yeah. And um, yeah, I would imagine um, a lot of people probably have that insecurity. Um, yeah. But I also think when we're when we're totally different that we can fill in where the other person um, isn't good at something. For instance, I'm good at, at getting the taxes together and my wife is good at figuring out what present is good to, to give to somebody um, whose birthday party we're going to. And we both completely suck at the other thing. Right. So it's nice sometimes to... Yeah, we definitely complement each other in those ways. But in my mind, the things that he does are more important than the things that yeah. I do. You know, well, I mean, I think it's a lot. I think it's I think everyone deals with this, as, you know, to some point. Yeah. Did yeah. I give you a water? Yes, you did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, give me another fear. Um, You want me to go in or do you want me to do something kind of. All right. 
I fear that being transparent will make people discover that I'm unlovable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just keep it light. Welcome welcome to what (laughs) I fear every week that I do the show. I'm always afraid that there's going... I'm going to say something that will reveal the true awful person that I feel like if people only knew... If you only knew. Yes. What a fuck up I am. Same. Yeah. Um, and it's just a balancing act until you discover that really I'm, I'm not uh, lovable and everybody's going to kind of I know flee. that's yeah. it. Like, Oh, if you well, only knew what yeah. are the things about you that, um, you're afraid will be seen my crazy mind. What's my, crazy about your mind? What's crazy about my mind is it never shuts off. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I have to credit your show with feeling a lot of, um, realizing that a lot of the things that I think are, you know, quote unquote normal. So I thank you for that. I'm definitely, I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks. Um, the transparency of seeing my inner thoughts and fears and a lot of irrational fears. What, what is the, the, is it a blanket fear or is it a if it's a specific fear, tell me the things that in your mind, somebody with headphones on is going to say out loud hearing your story. Right. Um, I mean, this is silly, but I have a huge IRS mess. If you knew all of that, you might think I'm unlovable. If you... Why? Help me connect those two. Why would somebody with uh, IRS problems be unlovable? Because it might show you're irresponsible. I see. Right. Which actually has nothing to do with me, but that these are my irrational fears. Right. No, but, but I like to talk um, about them because I, I think it's good to, um, you know, to, to use the term pull a string on your, on your fears because it always leads to, um, something deeper. Yeah. Like, fears that, like, I mean, the things that I think are fun, hilarious are terrible things. Um, for instance, I mean, just politically incorrect stuff that I joke about with my friends, but I would never say on the air. Join you the know. club. I mean, you join know. the club or just thoughts that go through my head. If I see, if I see somebody and I'm like, Oh wow, that person, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not trying to be vague here. I'm just really trying to think of something yeah, yeah. where I feel, um, if someone, if I was transparent, people would see him. But isn't that one of, one of the things that's good about a friendship that you're so comfortable that you can let out your dark thoughts knowing that your friend knows that you it's not coming from a place of hate it's coming from a oh listen to this yeah dark part of my mind yeah that is chattering away and saying this at least with my friends when we sit around and we crack dark jokes we know that you're safe yeah and that we we know the other people are good people that wouldn't hurt others absolutely i think like growing up too i um there was a lot of emphasis on money in my family where were you raised i was raised um in los angeles in the san fernando valley i was born in the valley as well and i still live in the valley so yeah um and i love the valley (laughs) yeah so i i feel like um a lot of emphasis was put on money so a big thing for me that has just kind of evolved within the past like five years, you and I were talking before the show, like I've been doing this, my show for a really long time. And, you know, I did really, really well. So I was always the person that paid for everything. 
And to me, that was kind of like love before. I mean, to, to be kind of general, but it was. And when I, when, when the paycheck stopped and things started becoming different, not bad, but different, um, it was really hard for me to not pay for everybody or to say, Hey, I need to save money because I had, I felt like I had to portray that person because that's the person I had been for a, a long time. And is it possible also that you might find out that some people, the deal was broken if there wasn't, if you weren't paying for things like, you know, I love Polly, but, um, that was my fear. Yeah. Yes. That if I were to be vulnerable or if I were to need, you know, have needs, have needs or be human, uh, <laughs> that they would see me as something other than superhuman, which is what yeah. I f- maybe thought I was conveying to them, which is not absolutely not true. Is asking for things frightening for you? Extremely frightening. Yeah. Were your feelings invalidated in your house growing up or kind of negated? That's a hard question because I feel like I kind of became the adult in my family. So, I mean, the short answer is yes, but for the reason I became the adult. So not overtly, but just by... Absolutely. Yeah. By default, because you had to care for a a parent. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because I became the adult, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to in this interview, like I probably won't spend time saying individual people because everyone is still living (laughs) and you know but i will tell you like i definitely became you know somewhat of a parent and somewhat of an adult very early on like how early probably like nine or ten and um can you say what the things were that you had to do that were uh adult like that you had to bear responsibility or be conscious of Sure. Was it emotional stuff? Was it financial stuff? Was it? It wasn't financial. It was, it was emotional and it was, uh, one parent gone and one parent was very, was very young. And, you know, at my age now, it would be like me having a 20 year old. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. 21 year old. Um, and that person was emotionally unstable. So, you know, and depressed, like seeing it now, seeing it from a clinical perspective now is much different than how I experienced it as a kid. Mm. Um, emotionally unstable and just dealing with household stuff and, you know, trying to take care of my younger sister. Um, never wanting to go to school, you know, battling that to the bitter end and, and usually succeeding. What was bad about school? Um, I hated it. I was a terrible scholar. I didn't fit in. I was, um, when I was a junior in high school, I was there. I, my counselor called me in and said, you're here 52% of the time and you're doing great on tests. What's going on? And I said, I'm smarter than all of my teachers. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, no, you're not. And I thought I was at the time, but I was so wrong. Like, you know, in retrospect, what you learn or what I'm sorry, what I've learned is, that I was right in the way of academics, but I was wrong in what I really think high school is about discipline and structure, you know, those types of things. Like I couldn't, I couldn't give a shit about history. You know what I mean? Quote unquote history. Um, yeah, I know know a lot of brilliant, uh, people who are brilliant with books, but just so dumb with emotions and interpersonal relationships. I mean, yeah. 
really, I mean, my dad, was, my dad was one of those guys. He oh, was, really? Oh, yeah. Brilliant mind, but just, um, just did not understand emotions. Yeah. It, that's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really hard, that's a really hard person to be around, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Um, because their default is usually to intellectualize something. And that's one of the hardest things about, um, guiding that person if you decide to mentor them in a support group is because the the journey in healing in, an, in a support group is to learn emotional tools by doing them by taking actions and uh, people that are super intellectual just want think that just knowing how it works right does the healing and does the work but right. that's just like saying I know what the machines look like at a gym. Now I'm physically right. fit. No. No. <laughs> when when it works is like, I mean, therapy changed my life, which I'm sure we'll get to. Sometimes you can have that moment when it's like, uh, do you feel like you were abandoned? <laughs> oh, well, I never thought about that. That's when it's like light bulb, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, there's work involved in it. It's more than just saying something. Yeah. Man, a lot of work. A lot of work. A yeah. lot of work. A lot of confusion. A lot of confusion. When you're a kid, I mean, you know, and and by kid, I mean even up to like twenty, beyond. I'm still learning, as we all are. Um, I feel. I don't know. I feel like I went to a support group to help deal with, um, you know, a parent mm -hmm. that I was having an issue with, and. I, I went to about two meetings and it was great. And, and I, I, I thought it was great. I didn't think it was for me, but that could go back to me not fitting into a group setting. You know, I am, I'm very bad with those. I'm very bad with group settings that are uh, where I'm in a space like school. Yeah. And also know that almost everybody's experience early on is they feel like an outsider. Other people know each other. You don't know anybody. And it's an, it, it's, it can be intimidating, but it, it does get better the more you go back. It does, and it, yeah. and it works. I've just seen so many people who have benefited from support groups, from therapy, um, from listening to your show, from yeah. any time you can share your experience and have it validated. It's pretty amazing. It's just an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, I think and we're living in a really special time. Because there is there is a spotlight on mental health that there hasn't been before. There's still a lot of work that has to be done, but huge amount. But the consciousness is is changing. Yeah, it is definitely changing. I agree. So um, you're uh, afraid that if you don't have money, um, people will abandon you. For sure, okay. that was a that was a fear of mine. Okay, um, give me another one. Um, I fear that certain family members will live and struggle their entire life unless I change that for them. Wow. You take on a lot. I do. Wow. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to say out loud because it's, it, that's my truth and possibly the truth. But, or and, <laughs> you, not to sound like an asshole, but I can't be responsible for the burden of someone else's happiness. And that doesn't make you an asshole at all. I mean, 
and I, I feel like in my life that I'm one of the most caring people that you'll ever meet. And I think I have an indifferent type of attitude that sometimes makes my family members think I'm kind of a dick. You know what I mean? But it's, it's more that it's, it's not that I want to be a dick. It's that I care more about big picture than I care about. I mean, I want to back up. I care more about helping you achieve your big picture through the little things than I care about you telling me, you know, that it's really, this is so hard to articulate. Um, how do I say this? And are you mostly talking about helping them logistically um, uh, or financially or emotionally? Uh, I think helping them financially would assist in all of the rest. Say that again. I think helping them financially would assist in helping their well-being. I see. Helping their happiness because they would be in different in a different spot, a different place in their life. And you know, like anyone, like when you deal with addicts, it's frustrating. It's yeah. so frustrating. And and you know, when you deal with people with depression, and I and as you were you witnessed when you were on my show this week, I came out as having depression, mm-hmm. and um, I still find it hard to deal with people that are that have depression it's 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 maddening sometimes it's frustrating it's maddening maddening i don't want anything to do with them why what what about them there's because there's parts of it that's like you want to shake them and be like fucking change this (laughs) you know what i mean like just fucking change this this just seems so clear you know, but I put myself back into my logical mind and say, hey, this is an illness. This is this is what it is. Things that seem simple to me. And, you know, vice versa, things that may be like a big deal to me, you might be fucking change that. So there is an urge, a very big urge in you to take over and fix. Yeah, a huge urge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And dealing with, and it's, and it's weird because it's at a time in my life where a lot of things were, have been taken from me. So like I was doing really, really well. I got hit hard by the IRS. So I'm not in the same situation where I was before. So wanting to help people and not being able to is really, really hard. That's, that's probably a a gift in disguise. I would bet that it is. I would bet that it is. And I think that if you really want something, you kind of have to do it yourself. Or certainly be prepared to do it yourself. I think except for things that are emotional and, and, and in terms of emotional healing. And then I think trying to do that on your own is a, is a form of, of right. insanity. Well, I, but by being prepared, that means being, that can also mean being prepared to receive help. Yes. Yes. Not being, not only helping yourself, but mm. being open to receiving help. I, I have a family member who is probably, you know, if I were to diagnose this person, you are like extreme bipolar, severe depression. And I offered to, you know, I offered therapy to this person many, many times. And they always declined because 
they didn't want to uncover things that they thought may have happened. Does this person drain you to be around? Absolutely. Then why are you subjecting yourself to someone who drains you that refuses help? Don't you deserve better? I deserve much better. And I'm very close with this person. I still don't think that that our that, relationship that now is very uh few and far between. Okay. It's not what it was. It's nothing like it was. Um because I saw this person deal with a trauma, like a huge trauma. And you know, when you deal with grief and loss, you are it is a hard time. And this person acted completely irrational toward me. In in a time where I was more than trying to help. And I, our relationship has been very strained since. I look at people that have mental illness but won't get help for it. I, I look at them exactly the same way I look at somebody that is an addict that refuses to get help. As I still love you, but I can't be around you if you're not going to try to get better because it's too painful to it's watch. the same thing. I mean, to, in my mind, it's the same thing. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of like, um, I know that a lot of things in my family stem from a terrible, my grandfather was a terrible person. I mean, this, if I tell you this story, I, and I'll tell you this story, it's, it's unbelievable, really. So my grandfather and grandmother were married for 41 years, and he was always very abusive. Um, and I try to make this fast cause I'm long winded. Um, <laughs> after, so, you know, after 41 years, she, they, she divorced him, but she was still codependent. She was still over there taking him to the doctor, doing all this stuff. And my family's very young. So like mm -hmm. my family's still like my grandparents are still young. Um, my grandfather one day just was in the car with my grandmother and said, mm, I'm let's, he was just getting really mad and calling her names and they got home and, or they got to his house cause she had moved out and he said, I'm going to kill you. And he walked over to his bureau, took out, I've never used that word before, <laughs> took out a gun and shot her like point blank in the chest and it went through her lung. It punctured her heart and, and, and into her back. Um, and she lived. So. So he's a terrible shot. That's what I take He's from a it. terrible shot. He's in jail for the rest of his life. How he, long ago did this happen? This happened in 1999. He's, I, I mean. I blame Prince. I do too, a little yeah. bit. Thanks, Obama. Uh, <laughs> the, uh. And she lived in the, and, and the irony of it is like by trying to take away her life, he gave her life because now she travels the country talking about gun control. No way. It's crazy. And I never, like, she was always the very submissive, like very submissive. She could be in the back of the house and he would just call her name like, and she would be like right there, like right there. And, you know, part of this is I think that my, you know, my grandfather's uh, 
up the way that he raised his children, including one of my parents, um, severely affected them. And they all have issues in one way or another. And it's so... I mean, he sounds like, a, obviously, so a total, total to narcissist. See. Yeah. Oh, the the biggest narcissist you've ever... I, I have I've met... I mean, I, I'm in entertainment, and I live in Los Angeles. I've met the biggest narcissists, and I've never met someone as narcissistic as my grandfather ever in my whole life. The vanity, the narcissism, the... I don't... It, it's so weird looking back on it because he had this whole idea of, I think, who he thought he was. Mm. It was weird. And I this is so random. I just remembered something. He had a picture of Bruce Willis in his house because he thought, like, he liked him. Like, like he just thought he was, like, macho or something. I have <laughs> no idea why. I have no idea why I just thought of that. Yeah. And every picture I've seen of him, he has the same smirk as Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> So he's in jail. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's an insane story. So that gives you kind of a little insight as to how, you know, some, I mean, and you know, I mean, and one of the siblings is a severe drug addict. One of the siblings is a support kind of, kind of a support group junkie, Mm -hmm. you know, but is a sponsor and helps people and, Mm -hmm. you know, lives a pretty good life, but still a little bit like here and there there's spots of craziness that I see. And, uh, the other one's just a hermit, just a really content leading a, a, a pretty monotone life, which, Hey, I kind of, I kind of envy that a little bit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. Give me some more fears. Oh, I fear Catholicism. Can you be more specific? Sure. I hate Catholicism. I I fear it because I think it's one of the biggest businesses that causes the most pain in our world. This is that's a that's like a really big fear. That's not that specific to me, mm-hmm. but it's specific to me in the way where I grew up Catholic, but not like we didn't go to church or anything like that. And I just remember that's like, called Catholic. Right. So yeah, I grew up like a staunch Catholic and I just like my grandfather would always have the rosary and just weird. And then was this the narcissistic grandfather? Yes. Okay. A very strange relationship with his parents who were very Italian and like one, I mean, and you know, obviously stuff stems from his parents, you know, Mm -hmm. one of his parents gave him everything. The other one beat him. So things that'll are fuck you up. What? That'll, that'll fuck, fuck you up. up. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it, the domino effect, right? So, um, I don't agree with Catholicism. I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I personally don't agree with organized religion, but I do believe in faith. Mm. I believe that you can have, you know, this is going to be so, I hate saying this stuff out loud because I get so chastised on social media for saying the Pope is a murderer and things like that. But I believe that. I actually believe the Pope is a murderer. So <laughs> that that might have to make <laughs> the the opening montage for future for future years. I, I do because That's, how can you how can you go to I mean just the poorest poorest countries that are they're in the depths of famine and you're still denouncing birth control 
that's murder. <laughs> I just and I and I just don't agree with it. I mean, I I don't understand how you could be gay or a female and be Catholic. Yeah, that that one's a little puzzling. A uh, little puzzling. To I me. don't, and I also don't believe. Like, how can you believe something that? I, I understand faith, but if you saw something with your own eyes today that you believe in, that hap- that happened a long time ago, and you saw it today, you wouldn't believe it. If you saw somebody walk on water today, you wouldn't believe it. But you believe it happened, but you didn't see it. I don't mm-hmm. get it. I think for a lot of people, they take what they need from it. And Mm -hmm. they leave the rest. And I understand how people um, can get what they need from certain organized religions. Because to me, it's, it's, um, it's a feeling. To me, spirituality is a, is a feeling. And, you know, it's a byproduct of trying to live a principled life. But it, um, I think any place you get that feeling and, if in your general day you're trying to make the world a better place, I don't really care what that what that religion is. But I would certainly agree that uh, Catholicism uh, has its um, areas that it definitely needs sure. needs work on. And, and, and I'm not saying I hate Catholics. I, I, yeah. no, I don't. That's what I took from it. Is that you oh, hate Catholics? Well, most of them. Yeah. Um, I hate like I. I don't. What I. I understand being a moderate Catholic or a modern Catholic. I don't understand when you will defend something from Catholicism, but then when something else is brought up, it's kind of just, you know, swept under the rug. I don't like that. Um, Yeah. Okay. And I'm gay. And I don't think that, and, 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 you know, if I ever have a a little girl, I don't want her to feel like she's uh, not equal to anyone else. Those are my biggest, those are my two biggest things. I do like, uh, you will tell her though, that she's not equal to the prettier girls, right? Yeah. I'm or the skinny ones. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I mean, you got to build her. character. I do like the fabulous gowns that the priests wear though. I mean, (laughs) damn. Do you actually like them? I think they're, I do think they're gorgeous. That's awesome. My cousin got married in the Catholic church and we got to go. I I kept calling it backstage because I didn't know what (laughs) (laughs) know what else to call it you were in the green room yeah we were in the green room at the, i mean literally these churches have those i mean it's yeah. gorgeous but a lot of the robes were hanging and i just went through them you know mm. and their shoes were sparkly and beautiful and i was like man this is some ornate work yeah. gorgeous yeah so and then i had sex with one of them and how was it was it pleasant? it was only fun because like there were like three other ones watching <laughs> <laughs> it was good i was young that's called a small mass yeah um give me another fear i'll give you a like a real one this time oh i fear that when my dog dies i won't know how to move forward (laughs) that makes two of us i mean i love him so much what's his name henry nice (laughs) yeah i i mean what's your favorite thing about henry oh i love that he's um I love that he's kind of feisty and independent. Like he won't always come to me yeah. and he'll, he'll run away from me sometimes. But once I get him and grab him, like he'll snuggle with me. Yeah. He, and he makes me laugh. Our dogs make us laugh every single day. <laughs> it's just every so single weird, day. Right. It's so funny. I've never had a dog. This is my first dog and I've had him as long as I've had my fiance and just like, 
he's the funniest. He's just the funniest thing in my their, life. Their personalities are so distinct. <laughs> they, they They're totally so are. distinct. Yeah. It's uh, it's like a person. Yeah. yeah. Give me another one. <sighs> I fear that I'll never get along with my fiance's family and that my indifference toward it will sadden him. Oh, that's a good one. Why don't you get along with them? Um, I think that certain, it's not his whole family. It's just like a couple of them. Um, I think that they're just very Catholic and they don't understand being gay and it's, it's rough. We've had a rough go with a couple of them, but a couple of very key members of the family. Are they openly critical or hostile towards you or is it? Yes. Yeah. They'll ignore me. Like they've, they've blatantly, I've sat just really hurt. It's. It used to. At first it did because I'm a people pleaser, right? Like oh, we talked about, yeah. like, I just want to make everybody like me no matter what. And I usually succeed in that because I'm a good guy. And I just blatant. I've never been blatantly ignored before. Like I, it's like sitting across from someone and saying hello and they just don't say anything. You never spent time with my dad. (laughs) (laughs) You had a PhD in blatantly ignoring people. It's so weird. Another time I, I, I was, I would talk to this person, one of them, I was talking to them and this person would turn to my fiance and answer him instead of answering me. That is weird. It was just, it's so weird. And now I'm, now, I mean, we've gotten to a point where we've tried every, we've tried everything we can. Um, he's, we're very, we're very much therapy people. Mm-hmm. He's done everything he can, his part. And it's just not about us. You That's know? so healthy that you can see that it's not about you. It's not, it it's still not, hurts. I'm not, yeah. I won't, I mean, I've become more and more indifferent toward it, which I personally think indifference is kind of the worst thing you can be toward mm-hmm. a situation like that because even anger kind of shows that you still care about it. Um, sometimes in in the moment, I get a little angry, but it, I think my anger comes from the wanting to protect him. My fiance is the best person I've ever met, and he doesn't deserve anything bad. I mean, he's he works so hard. He's so gentle. He's so kind. He's so smart. Give me a slice of life um, that you think exemplifies what you love about him so much. Um, I think he always tries to take the path of getting to the best outcome for us somehow achieving the best outcome for us. So if we're in a fight, he's always, not always, but he's mostly the one that says, well, how does this make you feel? Well, how can we move forward? And sometimes I just want to be mad. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, and I'm very, and, and I know you can't tell from this interview, but I'm very much articulate with what I say to him. So if I say something, he's like, well, that's semantics because he won't, he'll hear something different. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not what I said. So here's what I said. Well, that's just semantics. I know what you meant. But, and, and he's usually right, but <laughs> don't tell him that. So he's always the one that just wants to move forward. Like a slice of his life is let's move forward. Let's get to the best place possible. I mean, he jumps in and helps me with all of the things I'm terrible at. 
You know, I'm terrible with finances. Here he is with a spreadsheet. I'm terrible with communicating with a family member I'm pissed at. He's like, well, how about you do it this way? You know, he's like my knight in shining armor, Paul. That's sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. And he's just funny. Like, even when he's not funny and he thinks he's funny, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Give me another. Give me another. uh, Fear? Another fear. Uh... I fear that I'll live longer than everyone I love. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I was just thinking about that one the other day. It's weird because you don't want to die, but you also don't want to be at the party after everybody's left. I've, since I turned 40, I've been obsessed with death. And I don't know why. Um, it's It has been very scary because I it's like I, you just come to this realization at some point in your life or I've come to this realization now that we're all going to die and we're not all going to die at the same time. What did you hear? Well, you know, that's Intel I can't share, but <laughs> we're not all going to die at the same time. So this has to play out somehow. And that scares the shit out of me. Like it just scares me. And I've also never had anyone close to me die. I haven't yet had anyone super close Mm. to me die. And I just feel like it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) We should have the Jaws theme underneath this. It's so scary. It's just so scary. And, you know, I have this... I wasn't going to talk about this. I will. I have this heightened intuition that I've had since I was a kid and I even I like I would call myself a spiritual healer. I've helped a lot of people. Um I can't, I can't even believe I'm saying this. It sounds so out of out there. Um but I'm a normal guy, so I'm not like all new agey and third mm-hmm. eye, but I've helped so many people. I've actually traveled to help people because of of my intuition and you know, this past week has been a really dark week for America. When we're taping this show, this is, we're at the height of, you know, Black Lives Matter and... Orlando happened about Orlando a happened. month and a half ago. Yeah. So we're at the height of a really scary time in our country. Um, and I just saw some of this coming and it's like, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And I don't think we're done. Like... Oh, not by a long shot. I know. And it's, it just, it's so scary. We're just, it's just scary time. Um, I don't, I don't even remember where I was going with this. I did have a point, but yeah. Well, you know what I, uh, I picture is, you know, the, the last throws of the really hardcore people, um, in the sixties, the, the Southern people that were fighting integration, um, you know, it it was the intensity of their hatred uh, didn't didn't last. It's certainly still there everywhere in in America, but it. Um, I like to think that as people gain rights and move forward and get more opportunities, the haters become more threatened. So it's, 
I believe that it's something that is inevitable because people that blame other people are always going to be around and they're always going to see someone else's gain as their loss. Yeah. And um, I think it's, it's just human nature that I agree. I think people don't listen either. You know what? I think people don't. <laughs> that's so dumb. I, that that was, is so dumb. That's so funny. I love that kind of. Yeah. That's my favorite kind of humor. Um, I just think it's people just need to listen. Like even if you already know you have a viewpoint, like look, I don't. I disagree with Catholicism, but I'm not going to just be like fuck Catholicism. I'm, I don't want to hear anything you have to say about it because. You know, my fiance grew up Catholic and he has told me many reasons that he values, mm-hmm. you know, his upbringing. So if you can have an intelligent conversation, I had, I, I was, uh, I was on a Facebook thread and I was trying to school people on black lives matter. Why, why black lives matter and not why you don't say all lives matter. Of course, every life matters. That's so ridiculous. Black Lives Matter is a movement. And I, anyway, I was I was explaining mm-hmm. it. And just this person, it was a trans person. And they were like, all lives matter and fuck anybody who says that they don't. And there's n- um, and I said, well, here's the reason that Black Lives Matter is a thing. And, you know, like, educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this person was like, fuck you. Go back to, uh, fuck you and your non-traveled California ass. And go back to junior high that you didn't graduate from. And I was like, this person has like nothing to say other than they're mad about something. You don't have anything to say. And I just responded. I said, I think people are fighting for equality, which you as a trans person should know everything about. So I got pissed. Yeah. Fuck her. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's shocking that that would, uh, and I think that people that don't get it, don't realize that this is, there isn't an epidemic of every person being threatened. No. There is an epidemic. Yes. All lives are not at risk. The way. The way black lives are at risk. Being targeted by people who uh, are supposed to protect My us. My nephew is 11 and he's black. And we literally have to tell him ways to walk down the street to not look threatening. Because another thing is people think that black boys are older than they are. My nephew's 11 and he's a giant. He's so big. And we have to tell him, like, you have to smile and keep your hands out at all times. You can't be a normal kid. It's awful. It's it's terrifying. Give me another fear. I fear that I'm so vague in this interview <laughs> that... I, and And I don't have all the answers that I'll look stupid. This this is the waiting room. This is not. This I know. is not the the place for. I for wish answers. I had every answer for the questions you ask me. And sometimes when you ask it, I feel like I'm just talking, and not answering it. And I feel yeah. like a tool. No, you're you're not coming across that way at all. But you're, it's an interview, so I don't want to be like I don't know. You're coming across as somebody who's very self reflective and and honest and insecure and um, insecure. N- what you know. It's, You're not seeing this mirror. I'm seeing obviously. <laughs> that was another way of being insecure. Um, in in the way that all of my guests and myself are are insecure. Sure. Yeah, I didn't mean that. Like compared to the average no, guest. No, yeah. I'm completely insecure. Yeah. Um. So give me some but snapshots. I, except for I have a huge penis. 
Do you? No. Oh. <laughs> Give me you. A- no. <laughs> Uh, I hope that unless ends up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> unless you look at mine in a funhouse mirror. Oh, there are ways to take, you know, dick pics with yeah. your camera. One time I took, like, a great one, and I can't find it. Oh, my God, it looked so good. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> uh, give me some snapshots from your life that you think are kind of uh, paint a picture of who you are and who you become. Um. I think the biggest transitional thing that has ever happening what happened to me I think the biggest transitional thing that has ever happened to me was a breakup. Um I had never experienced loss in that way. And I feel like I was making the same relationship mistakes over and over and over with men that were not available in some way. And I, this one like debilitated me. Like how, was, how long ago was this? This was, uh, right before, um, this was the relationship prior okay. to, to the one I'm in now. Um, you know, and hopefully I learn a lot from this one for my next one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should put that on your uh, anniversary card. Oh too. <laughs> yeah. Save the date. So I, when we broke up, I was like, I was it was devastating and debilitating and I couldn't stop crying. And I decided to go to therapy. Um, we, I, here's something fun. I went to therapy with my ex once at my request and we broke up in the therapist's parking lot. And that therapist was a dick. Like we were talking about this, uh, prior to the show, like, um, or we were talking about when you were on our show that finding the right therapist is so huge. Oh my God. So fucking huge. Like, so it's so monumentally huge because it can change your whole life. And if you don't feel that within the first couple of sessions, you know, I, I, and I understand giving someone a chance, but mm. so we broke up in the therapist's parking lot and like he didn't want to do any of the, you know, worksheets and stuff. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, he was perceived as the asshole and I was perceived as the nice guy and blah, blah, blah. But it, that wasn't the truth. I mean, he's a good guy. We, we're, we're cool. Um, he's a good guy. And I was very needy. I was very needy. And when we broke up, I would call him like a narcissist and you have daddy issues and all these silly things that I don't know if those are true. They might be, but it was just my way of trying to cope and blame and that wasn't right. But I was, it was so, it was, it was so sad, but it prompted me to go to therapy. And at first I was going twice a week. I found, I mean, my, I really owe a lot of my life to my therapist. A lot of my, what do you love about your therapist? She is warm and kind and empathetic and saw me at a point where I was, I couldn't breathe. I was going to her twice a week. Like, you know, why isn't he here on the couch with me? And just (laughs) like, like heaving, like just, just that guttural. It's, it's like that, that, that feeling in your gut that you can't describe. 
You know what I mean? That That's just that. An emptiness that's swallowing you. It's swallowing you. That brings you to your knees. And it's, it's, it's pretty much indescribable. Um, so far, like I said, like this might, I, I feel like this might sound so stupid to someone else that has experienced death, but this, you know, a break of it is another type of loss. Yeah. And I, uh, I just, I kept going and she's, I think what I love most about my therapist, let, let me get through this and I'll tell you other things that I love about her. She, um, she started making me think about how I affected my relationship. Imagine that. <laughs> That's a good therapist. Yeah. Like what I was doing and taking the, taking the focus off of him. The first few sessions we did, we talked about it and she was like, well, maybe one day he'll be here. Um, and then it, it became more apparent that it was about me. Eventually we never talked about him again. And then I got super healthy, right? I got, I got healthy in my, I, I still loved him though. So, but I got, I got physically healthy, emotionally healthy and healthy begets, begets healthy. Right. So she, she kind of changed. Um, the first thing I said to her when I went in was, um, I basically feel like I know the things you're going to tell me. Like, kind of like what I said to my counselor in high school. I basically th- feel like I know, but I don't know how to apply the things I need to do to get to that point. And she was like, that's why I'm here. I was like, yes. It's kind of like it gets better, right? That's the end result. What about all the shit you have to do until it gets better? So I went for like a year, um, saw a year solid and it just worked wonders. And I saw my ex later in the year and I was still in love with him and I was a different person. I was, I was, it was just miraculous. And I started dating, which I had done before, but never really the like in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So I started dating and, and it was kind of like, well, I don't really see a future with this person. So I'm not going to see this person again. And I'm going to tell them like, I'm not feeling the same way that you mm-hmm. feel. I'm sorry. Because you know what? That's not going to break their heart. They'll be sad, but it's not going to break their heart. Mm-hmm. And it was very empowering to do those kinds of things because before I'm such a, I, I'm a people, I'm a, a people pleaser. I would probably have been with the first guy I dated for two years her and hurt myself and him. So something magic happened when I met my fiance. I, I, it's kind of, it's indescribable, but he's like the healthiest person I know. So I, I mean, just to add to fears, my biggest fear is that my previous behaviors often come out during our relationship. Like what? Um, like, not wanting to talk about things like feeling very insecure, feeling like if I don't do something monumental, I'll be unloved and not working toward it. Cause I'm very much an end result person, you know, mm-hmm. I've never been a person that's like, steady paycheck person. I've always been no, no paycheck, no paycheck, giant paycheck. 
that's a that's a that's a real snapshot of my life where it's like mm-hmm. big payoffs nothing in between um where were we going with this um <laughs> I, I get myself so distracted I, I do too i do too sorry um you were you were talking about the uh, things that you are going to bring to this relationship that you brought to the right to the last relationship behaviors yeah. Um, feeling, uh, feeling inadequate, feeling transparent, the transparency of it, um, you know, like transparency, like in a bad way, like you're, yeah, like the, like we were talking about transparency equals being unloved, unlovable. Um, the feeling of, Not being an asshole. <laughs> what What is the worst sentence that you could, if you were to eavesdrop on somebody talking about you, what would be the worst sentence that you could hear come out of their mouth, them, them talking about you? Um, other than that I'm fat, it would be... I hate that, he's, that I'm annoying. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Because I I feel like I am, so I annoy like you myself. are annoying. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I annoy myself sometimes too. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in general people like to hang out with me, and I think that I've I've always been like the joker, right? So I've always been the put on a play type of person, and it it it's not. In my case, I don't feel like it's an overcompensation thing. I feel like I'm just an entertainer. So um, there's that part of it. And I can see how it can be annoying, for sure. Because sometimes people like me annoy me. (laughs) That is a great audio clip. (laughs) I'm glad that my interview is terrible, but at least you have these sound bites. Your interview is not terrible. Your interview is not terrible. So what are the big issues that you... Well, first of all, what was coming out like for you? I have to say coming out was good. It was a good experience. Boy, that that might be one of the first ones I've heard. Yeah. Uh, And I work with a lot of youth, so I definitely can sympathize with a terrible coming out story. I mean, of course, when, you know, I came out when I was 19 and of course, I mean, but I was fooling around with boys much, much Mm. earlier than that. How old were you when you knew you were gay? Um, when I looked at my mother's vagina and when I was coming out of it, no, that's such a, (laughs) that's such a stupid joke, right? It made me laugh. I was like, ew. (laughs) Not going back in there. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, my earliest recollection of having feelings for a boy, I must have been like three or four, and then I and then I don't really remember anything until like fifteen or so. Okay. Um, I always I was always different. I was always kind of like the different kid, right? I was always the super artistic, creative kid. I grew up on a street with 
25 other kids. Like, Holy shit. And, and we all still talk, which is really weird. And we grew up on a cul-de-sac. So I was always the facilitator. I grew up on a cul-de-sac, too. Did it you? awesome. It's so awesome. I not grew up having, in Northridge in the valley. Oh, it's the best. Not having cars driving through. You can oh just God. play out in the street. Ride yeah. your bikes. Yeah. It was the best. And I mean, most of these people are my family. You know, we're just family. Um, and... And I was like the house at the end of the cul-de-sac. So I was always a facilitator of everything. I organized the gayest shit. Like we had parades. We had fashion shows. I mean, the gayest kid you would ever meet. And then in junior high, I mean, I was obsessed with Madonna. I had Madonna all over the Blonde Ambition Tour, all over my locker. So I think that when I came out, and I and I came out, while I had a girlfriend, which was bullshit for her, but I was young. So see, that's the type of thing that I might say where people think I'm a dick, right? (laughs) So when I came out, I don't think it was a shock to people because I was already pretty feminine and, you know, but everyone was like, well, I grew up with, you know, with women. I was, I was pretty feminine, but more than feminine, I had a lot of gay tastes you know, but I was dating a girl at the time and I had to tell her cause I fell in love with the boy. And, and your, your parents reaction and your um, siblings reaction. So my mom at the time became like, she was going through like, <laughs> I don't know. She'll probably laugh at this too. She was like going through a phase where it was kind of like she was checking out Christianity which we we didn't grow up religious. I think we talked about mm-hmm. that. Um, and I don't know if she became born again or was on the path to becoming born again. But she talked to her pastor at the time and he was like, well, does does he have uh, sex with women? And she's like, yeah. And he's, I, I don't, I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, well, this is the same thing because it's all a sin in God's eyes. <laughs> it's all the same sin. So she was like, Oh, okay. Oh my but God. to her, it was like, Oh, okay. Like it wasn't like, Oh, he's sinning. It was like, Oh, it's the same. Oh, okay. Um, oh God, my what a fucked up way to get to a good conclusion. I mean, real fucked up. Right. Uh, and then my father at the time was, I told him, I don't remember if I told him I was bisexual or no, I think I just told him I was dating a guy and I just did this really funny, um, this new web series that's going to come out called coming out. And I told this whole story and they're going to animate it. Oh, that's great. And I just remember I walked, uh, I, I, I'll tell it here too, but I walked in, I was living with him at the time because he needed someone to live in his house. Cause he was always traveling and, I, I just remember walking in with this bag from Target with this lamp that I bought, and it was the faggiest lamp. <laughs> I, I don't even know why I bought it, but I mean, it's just funny me walking in and be like, I have to talk to you. And I just told him, and I think he took it hard for about a week, and you know, I don't know. We don't really have a relationship, so it's... We've never really had a relationship, so it wasn't really... A, is he, is a he just not emotionally available? Um, I haven't spoken to him in... Fourteen years, fifteen years, and why so long? Uh, my choice. I've chosen not to. Okay. Um, I've spoken with him, but I mean, we haven't had a proper conversation. He has a nine-year-old, so 
she, the nine-year-old, so the nine-year-old came into my life when she was three. And I don't know the stories that are told to her, but it's like, oh, I hear you're my brother. So, you know, heartstrings, right? Mm -hmm. So I started kind of seeing her. They live in another state. So I would see her when I, when I'd be in that state, it's a state I go to often Mm -hmm. sometimes for work. And, um, I, I would try to see her. So, you know, with that comes little conversations, but no, no real conversations. Um, so it's not like there's contempt on your part. It's just, no, it's I'm just something where there's, okay. Yeah. No, I'm okay. indifferent at this point. I feel like. It wasn't anything he did. It's just not a relationship that is uh, fruitful. Um, I think it's a collection of things he did. Again, my parents were very, very young when they had me. And I think that, you know, sometimes people might not be equipped to be parents. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, whether or not that's true, that's just my opinion. Um My father's family is very strange. I, they're very money driven. And so that's, that's a big thing. Like that, that is the most draining set of people to be around. I I cannot like hell to me would be New York high society, endless New York high society parties where there's photographers that that would be it sounds like the fucking worst the worst the only thing worse than that is to me was i was invited to join mensa Hmm. and i politely declined because going to a fucking mensa meeting sounds like the worst goddamn thing i would ever do in my life just a a mental pissing contest i mean what the hell what are you talking like i'm talking about like farts and poop with my friends (laughs) I don't care what my IQ is. Like, this is what makes me happy and what I'm laughing about. So I don't need to talk about whatever Mensa people talk about. Um, anyway, uh, back to the, back to my father's family. They're just strange to me. I, and he's exactly like them. Like one of my, my aunts was like the kind of the matriarch in the family because she had the most money. But it wasn't even her money. <laughs> like it was it her husband's money. In that world, died, it doesn't matter. It, no, it's, but she was yeah. like people looked to her, and I'm like, she's one of the like dumbest people I've I've met. Like, like I mean, I loved her, and I like her. Like, you know, she's dead now, but like, I, I this is going to be sad for my family that listens to this. But she wasn't her and her siblings. One of them being my grandmother. They're not smart people, but they're the first people to impart their opinion. I can't describe them better than that. You know what I, I've found in the cliques of people where money is the most important thing to them is they they create a hierarchy of who they look up to, yes, based on how much money they have. Right. And I think it's because they view money as this life raft that they need. Mm-hmm. And... The people with more money have a bigger life raft, and they're, I think in the back of their mind, they're always like, well, if my life raft pops, I need to get on that life raft. More money, more problems, though. That's why, I mean, yeah, there, I definitely have issues with money, but it's not, I'm not, I don't care about it anymore the way I used to. Is it great to have money? Fuck yeah, it is. But it doesn't change your life. I think Amy Schumer said this recently, some, like, an interview an interviewer asked her, you know, are you happier? And she's like, I'm thinking I'm as happy as I've ever been. I just have money. 
And that was that's really telling yeah. and kind of healthy. I just always want to have enough money to be able to belittle anyone that I need to. Me too. Me too. To insult them and then to throw a hundred dollar bill at their feet at yeah. and say, get out of my face. Yeah. After I blew my nose in it. Absolutely. I mean, that's a given. I mean, obviously. That's a given. Yeah. And then what I like to do is I like to reach in my back pocket and pull out a big oversized 70s comb and run it through my hair. Just right through yeah. your gorgeous yeah. And then throw it away and say, I got a bunch of these. Yeah. yeah. I'm gold plated, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're dumb. So what, what are the, the big issues that, that you struggle with day to day? Weight. Is probably the biggest issue I'm struggling with now. Weight and financial things. Okay. Well, we've uh, touched on the on the financial yeah, stuff. So a lot. let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the the weight thing a little. Yeah. Bit. So like uh, I was a chubby kid, and I became a not so chubby twenty year old, and then I became a chubby twenty five year old, and then I became a not so chubby thirty year old. And then I was like a super fit 35 year old. And now I'm probably the biggest I've ever been. And I'm 40 and it's really hard. It's really hard. The fittest I've ever been came at the time of my breakup because I was so into myself and just, I, I, in a good way, in a good way. But I think a lot of it was for him. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was, I know I'm going to see him eventually working I'm, out, I'm out of look, spite. Yeah. Just <laughs> fucking spite workouts. Yeah. I was looking amazing and I just, I see myself, I have to see myself on camera every week and I'm doing some television now and it's, it's hard. It's hard to look at because it's not what I see in the mirror, but I know obviously that's what I look like. And, um, I don't feel good about myself at all. I don't feel good. I don't feel like I look good. I don't feel good. Something really shitty happened to me this past week. Um, I was training for a marathon with a group and two people started laughing at me and they were the coaches and it made me feel shitty again. And, uh, it's hard to be in the body that I'm in because I'm not used to not being able to do things. I mean, I'm not, you know, handicapped luckily. Mm -hmm. And I, I appreciate that things that I used to do. Um, I can't, I'm not, I can't do. And, it's that sounds so trivial because I'm of perfect health, you know, when I, to put it in perspective, I can't run a 10 minute mile. <laughs> like that's, I feel like such an asshole. Like this mm-hmm. sounds like white people problems. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, or first world problems, but I feel a little bit imprisoned by my body and I'm not even that I'm not even that fat you know what I'm saying but it's about your opinion of yourself is, right. is what matters I'm not uh, I'm, I mean if you That's saw me in I, person after this interview you'd probably think I'm 300 pounds and I'm not and that's what I see I see myself as as that debilitated person so and you know that's a thing I know it's a, a thing yeah body, and I know it's body dysmorphia that, yeah, definitely body dysmorphia because no matter how thin I ever got, I still felt that way. And I got very thin. Um Yeah, I don't feel sexy no matter how many people I sleep with, just kidding. <laughs> um I just I don't feel sexy. I feel like I have to I cover myself up a lot. I feel uh not worthy a little bit. 
what's the what would be the phrase that would kill you in hearing somebody talk about you specifically about your body uh i already can't see his penis because his stomach's in the way (laughs) (laughs) um like ew what happened to him yeah 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 and for the record i can see my penis um yeah here's a phrase it's that would not, not it's it's more of an i think what it would like i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i think what would affect me more is just people acknowledging it more than them saying anything bad about me would be like wow he's put on a lot of weight like wow he just keeps getting bigger those kind of things yeah more than like ew did you see polly he's so fat like that's kind of funny to me <laughs> you know yeah. that's kind of funny to me or i dated this guy who I really like. He's a friend now, but I dated this guy and I was pretty fit, but he was, him and his friends were, um, personal trainers Mm -hmm. and they were like super fit. And I was pretty fit at the time, but I was just like a nor, I was normal. And his friend called him a chubby chaser. (laughs) Oh my God. And I couldn't stop laughing. Like I thought that was super funny. So that didn't affect me in a negative way. Right. But just someone acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. Any other things you you want to share before we uh, we wrap up? Um, yeah, for the teenagers that are listening, um, I don't think people talk to you honestly. I don't think. I mean, yeah, people say it gets better. People, you know, think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it does take work to get to those things, and. I do think teenagers are savvier now than they were when I was a teenager because, you know, we're lucky to have everything at our fingertips. Mm-hmm. We self-diagnose, we do all those things. Um, but just, just talking to someone can ultimately save and change your life. Um, it might not get better right away, but it can. And just people don't talk to you honestly about high school and what it's really for. You know, if you're not an academic person, know that high school is something very important for structure and discipline in your life, even if you are terrible at math. And um, just know that, like, people like me and people like Paul, we love you and we care about you and we, we're always here to listen to you. Um, I think that's it. That's beautiful. It's beautiful when people can check out your show. It's called Polly and Monks. We didn't do loves, though. Oh, we didn't. I have loves. Can we do that? Fuck yeah. Thank you for reminding me. All these fears and tangents I went on. Fuck. I'm such a dumbass. I feel like my biggest fear is that this is like the most is incohesive a word. (laughs) No. Yeah. Like the most not cohesive show ever. It's not. It's not. It is. And and, and my uh Laura wandering, was so good. That was a great I love it was her. a great interview. Yeah. I um, love her. Give me some loves. Yeah. I love having the ability to manifest people's feelings into words through my songwriting. Oh, that's a nice one. That's a nice one. Yeah, I love that. I love the feeling um when you Drive to the beach and you can't smell the ocean until you open the car to get out and then it all hits you at once. And you remember, oh yeah, the this ocean. is exactly what the ocean smells like. Yeah. I used to be like 
allergic of the ocean when I was a kid. I don't know if yeah. I was allergic, but that smell would make me puke. Oh, wow. So it, that's it, where how it takes me back to childhood. <laughs> it also reminds me of my happiest memories, which were um, being at, at uh, playing in the ocean as a, as a little kid, um, which wasn't often because we didn't, we didn't take trips to the coasts uh, too often, but um, it, it always just made a deep impression in, uh, in my mind and the smell. You know, smells are the sense that is most closely connected to emotion. Is it? Yeah. Smell, yeah, smells are, are like that. And I, for me, music is like mm-hmm. that too. Like a, a song can take me right. When did I become New Yorker? A song, a song can take me right back to somewhere that I was, and yeah. uh, I think that's gorgeous. I think that's beautiful. I love yeah. that. I really love that. Give me a, give um, me a I gave a lot of. I, I really gave a lot of these during the interview, like making mm-hmm. my fiance. When mm-hmm. my fiance makes himself laugh, it makes me laugh. Feisty dog. Um, I love being in a community of ethnic artists and entertainers that support each other. That's a nice. And one. It's not just ethnic. I mean, being in a a group of of actors and you know artists that genuinely support each other and don't try to knock each other down in this business is hard to find and i've found it and i'm very very lucky and we intend to tell great stories you know what i'm i love that i am not threatened by diversity like a lot of people are um it like I was sitting at a stoplight coming home from hockey tonight, and there was um, uh, two Hispanic guys in a truck, and they were playing a like a hip hop ranchero song, which I'd never heard the two almost like uh, ranchero and techno uh, combined, and I'd never heard that, and I thought, wow, that you know that's an interesting genre of of music, and I thought, you know, if I lived in the boonies somewhere, I wouldn't get to experience. Um, all of the different cuisines, all the d- different cultures. And I know a lot of people are threatened but w- by what they're not familiar with. And right. I I think in many ways that is maybe a genetic slash environment thing. I don't think it's something you can will yourself into. And I am just uh, love that that comes naturally um, to me to be uh, pretty comfortable and even excited by new new things and and people etc yeah it makes me super happy yeah i love that i like when people know the difference between hispanic and latino (laughs) just kidding (laughs) that was a read (laughs) does anyone know what read means i'm gay um uh loves uh where are you I love pretending to sleep because my dog gives me little gentle kisses to wake me up. Oh, that is it, fantastic. It's so good. Like he, he, for some reason, my dog doesn't lick my face. He licks my ears. Like that's how he gives Herbert kisses. does that to my oh, ears. Really? Oh yeah. Herbert and Henry should get together. They should. They both have old man names. Yeah. Um, um, and, but if I pretend to sleep and I know he's awake cause he sleeps with yeah. me. He it he's so gentle with it. It's like this oh. it's not a real kiss, it's just this tiny little kiss and this little oh. nudge. It's so cute. And he's a Bichon and he's just has the cutest face and I love him so much. Yeah. It, it's uh you don't have to explain. That's my favorite. That's me. my favorite thing. Did you have any more or is that it? That's all. 
Um, if people want to see uh, Polly and Monks on YouTube, uh, just search yeah. Polly and Monks. Or- yeah, we're on um, tradiov.com. Okay. And you can see all uh, all of our previous shows there, and and pe- people can watch it live, or they can uh, then watch it uh, sure. later. You can watch it live on Thursdays, or our archive shows are always available. If you know, if there's a guest you know we've had in the past eight years, like we've had so many, just do a Google search because we're on every, like Paul, you know, we're on mm-hmm. every podcasting platform, and uh, a lot of your guests are teenagers, right? Um, or your show is geared towards towards uh, some of it is we've had a lot of of popular youtubers on so by default we've acquired a lot of that of that uh audience which i feel really fortunate about when we do charity events and things like that um we do a lot of kid-centric things so well i like to uh, when possible um because a lot of times our younger listeners will feel a little left out because most of my guests tend to be in their uh 30s uh, 40s sometimes even older and um that's a fear of mine like that when you asked me my age i almost didn't say because i think that i definitely think that our audience thinks i'm a lot younger than i am and i think they might not relate to me in the same way but i definitely relate to them yeah yeah um well thank you for for coming on and sharing your life and it was a great and i interrupted and it i I do that all the time i'm the (laughs) king i'm the king of that um Polly, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing everything and uh, being so honest. Thank you. I'm a huge, huge fan, and I just I love everything you do, so I appreciate you. Thanks, buddy. Many thanks to uh, to Polly David, and uh, what a sweet man. Be sure to check out uh, his YouTube show, The Polly and Monks Show. And uh, this episode that you just heard or are currently hearing will soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and helping out the show. I want to tell you about uh, a podcast that is uh, sponsoring this show, and it sounds really fucking cool. It's called Missing Richard Simmons, and I didn't know this, but three years ago, Richard Simmons disappeared. Uh, For those of you that don't know him, he was a a really big fitness guru in the uh, 80s and and onwards, and uh, he just suddenly stopped teaching his exercise class. He cut off all of his friends, dropped out of the public eye. And this guy was like super, super high profile. Well, a friend of his named uh, Dan Taberski, who's a filmmaker, um, decided to create a podcast about searching for him. And uh, he talks to people that knew Richard from his workout place, to fans, to former friends and family. Uh, to try to figure out why he left. And it's not only the story of somebody who America knows really, really well and um, know, knows well as a personality but doesn't really know as a person. Um, it's also about trying to find this guy. And apparently the deeper uh, that they dig, the stranger it gets. So it sounds really cool. So you can subscribe now to Missing Richard Simmons in Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to tell you about Probimune. We've talked about Probimune. I've I've sung the uh, the praises of the importance of having a healthy gut because it affects your mood. It affects your energy. I have had an unhealthy gut and I have had a healthy gut and it makes a world of difference. Well, Research suggests that up to 80% of your immune system 
relies on a healthy gut. And the people at Young Health know that, and that is why they developed Probimune, a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health and contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. Uh, Probimune's industry-leading fermentation process ensures the largest number of good bacteria are delivered alive and in the gut. Because it doesn't matter how many get in there, it's how many survive the digestive process. Process? Uh, it's super easy to use, easy to travel with, uh, and it doesn't require refrigeration, which is huge. I'm going on the road in a couple of days, and I will be bringing my bottle of it. I take it every day. So right now, you guys can get the exclusive offer of a free bottle of Probimune when you sign up for automated delivery. That's a $34.95 bottle of Probimune free. All you got to do is go to Probimune.com. That's P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E.com and use the promo code METAL at checkout. You'll receive your first bottle of Probimune free, and you just pay six seventy-five shipping and handling. Then each month, Young Health will automatically send you your supply of Probimune for thirty-four ninety-five with free shipping and handling. So go to Probimune.com, P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E.com, and use the promo code Mental at checkout to get your free bottle today. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Bree Marie. She is uh, in her 20s, straight, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She writes, quietly dysfunctional, hidden behind a smile. So we know she was raised in the suburbs. Um, Never been the victim of sexual abuse. Not sure if she's ever been physically or emotionally abused. She writes, uh, darkest thoughts. I have high-functioning depression and high anxiety, and no one in my social or family circle has any idea. I was simultaneously the silent outcast and the smart one in school, especially in high school. I had great grades. I created, quote, stunning artwork, their words, not mine. And despite being a loner and being made fun of constantly, everything was going decently well for me. I joined clubs and volunteered and had a stellar GPA. I graduated moving into one of the moving on to one of the top design schools in the US who had accepted me on the spot after reviewing my portfolio. I had a college degree and a 401k before I was old enough to drink. I was making good entry-level money, bought a newer car and the whole nine yards. Now I'm sure it seems like I have my shit together, but I don't, and I never have. Since elementary school, excuse me, every day I wake up and my first thought is, I wish I hadn't woken up this morning. I drag myself out of bed, shower poking and picking at all the parts that I hate about myself for about 30 minutes before actually bathing, get dressed in something that covers said hated parts of myself, and head to work. The 45-minute drive on the freeway is basically me blasting music in an effort to drown out my thoughts and wondering what the point of making the drive is. I arrive and sit and stare at my steering wheel, analyzing what it is that I need to cover and complete today in order to feel like a normal human. I get to my desk and fret that I won't complete everything I need to get done today. I speed through my work with a fine-toothed comb, needing everything to be quick, efficient, and impeccable. Usually while I do that, I listen to music, podcasts, and wonder what it would feel like to head to the third floor's roof and jump off. Would it be quick? How big of a mess would it make? I finish my work early, chat with my coworkers or help out where needed and then head home wishing that I could fall asleep at the wheel and I could slip quietly into nothingness. 
I get home and put on a smile, clean and cook, kiss my boyfriend on the cheek and head to bed. My last thought is, I hope I don't wake up tomorrow before I fall asleep. Oh, I, I hope I don't wake up tomorrow before I fall asleep. Why does nobody know about this? Because I'm the queen of the fake smile and compartmentalization. Work is work. Relationship is relationship. My internal dialogue is my internal dialogue. Those things never mix. I have a different mask for each one, and I wear them all well. I learned at a very young age from my parents that any emotions other than happiness are unacceptable. No one cares or wants to hear about my struggles, but I do genuinely care about the people around me, which is why I don't burden them with my dark thoughts and also why I don't act on them. And I guess, in a way, the pain of pushing myself through every day is my own form of self-punishment, like... This is wildly uncomfortable, and I'd much rather stay in bed all day, but I don't deserve that luxury. I don't deserve to be anything other than happy. I wish I could just die, but I can't bring myself to do it, and I won't. Too many people depend on me, but I fear for the day that I won't be able to force myself up and out into the world. Darkest Secrets that I don't know how to bridge the gap between my hidden emotions and the people around me. I've hidden it for so long that I'm afraid that revealing it will chase them off or make them not trust me anymore, which they have the which they have every right to trust me, but I'm already alone and I'm so terrified of them running away once they see the ugly mask underneath. Um once they see the ugly under the mask. I'm sorry, my my I must be really tired. My eyes are like, I'm kind of seeing double uh, uh, tonight, so bear with me on these surveys. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for peace. I'm so tired of waking up to the war zone that is my brain every single day. Have you shared these things with others? No. The one time that I tried to share my depression with my mother, she twisted it and made it her fault. She made me feel guilty for feeling the way I do and insisted that I just need to smile more. God, no wonder you feel the way you do. No wonder you feel the way you do. And you are so not alone in what you're feeling. Who wouldn't feel that way? Who wouldn't feel who wouldn't feel that way when they were taught to imprison your emotions and to be ashamed of them to not be human Here's the thing There are people that you can trust and they're everywhere There's also people you can't trust and I think your mom is one of those people So I think a really good thing to do would be to to go to therapy and to learn the experience of opening up to somebody and experiencing unconditional love. It's really, really powerful. Um, you are, you sound like such a really beautiful, sensitive person, and it's it's. Um, There are so many people that feel the way you do. There are so many people that feel the way you do. And you have just discovered the cult that is materialism that we are taught 
it, it, you know, I'm not a, opposed to money. I'm not opposed to having things, but that alone will not keep our spirit alive. And yet that was severed in you as a kid. And you still have that voice in your head that was implanted in there by your, by your parents. And I'm sure they didn't do it maliciously. But the point is, is that your mom sounds like a sick, toxic person. And I would look elsewhere for um, somebody to open up to, to validate your feelings. Um, and I think a support group or therapy would be great. Now I'm just running running my mouth. But um, your survey really, it really moved me. And um, I hope you hear this. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by MJ. And uh, she writes, I feel like I'm not in control of anything, like I can't make a difference. Nothing I do is enough. Both of my parents have mental illnesses, and they have been homeless for the past three years. No matter what I do, it seems there is never progress. What's helped you to deal with it? Coming to terms with the realization that I don't have to be in control of everything and that not everything is my responsibility. I am responsible for me, not my entire family. That is so great. That should be that should be printed up and put on everybody's mirror so that they can see it first thing in the morning. I actually have a have a friend who does do that because um, he has control issues and he says it works for him. Uh, it's a, you know some version of what you just said, but what have people said or done that has helped you? Being told that it is normal to feel overwhelmed or frustrated. I'm newly married and my husband has a new set of eyes for the situation. I find comfort in his ability to still have hope that things can get better. Thank you for that. What a great survey. This is a shame, shame and secret survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Disco and... She's in her 30s, pansexual, uh, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. My mom always insisted on being naked around me. She never let me have any privacy and often came into the bathroom with me when I didn't want her to. She made me look her in the eye while she was taking a shit and screamed at me. She was obsessed with my sexuality long before I even had a sexuality. She made me sit in her lap when she had no pants or underwear on. I hate my mom. You, if, if a social worker had learned of any of this, you would have been uh, taken out of the home and your mother would have been uh, probably prosecuted. And I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. Now, I've mentioned it before. Uh, I have a, a female friend who has a background in uh, mental health field, and she experienced these things as well. And if you would like to be put in touch with her, um, email me, and I would be happy to put you in touch with her. You, what you just described is a textbook way that mothers sexually abuse their children. I know dozens of people who had that happen to them, and I'm so sorry. Um, Darkest Secrets, I want to be a perfect 10 so I can be a huge bitch to everyone and get everything for free and never have to work because people would worship me for my beauty. Uh, Darkest Secrets, I let this guy fuck me just so he would stop pestering me about it. He just kept pressuring me for more. 
Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Two dicks in my pussy at the same time. Uh, I don't like sharing this even anonymously because it, it is something most people would shame me for and call me a slut. Well, I think you're talking to the wrong people because uh, I think a lot of people would high-five you and say, good for you. We have no control over what turns us on and good for you for embracing it and talking about it and taking it out of the dark and the shame and bring it out into the light. That's what I say. So um, I don't know logistically how it would work, getting two dicks in your pussy at the same time. Uh, my recommendation would be certainly to bring a civil engineer on board. Um, I don't know if you'd need blueprints. I don't know if there would be hard hats on site, but it's not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? You're a piece of shit for not tipping, and uh, I know your church murdered those abortion doctors. Wow, that is heavy. What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to be thin and beautiful so people will like me and do things for me. You know what the all, uh, awesome thing about getting healthier is and learning to be vulnerable and finding people that are safe is that we begin to get those feelings that we thought being rich or beautiful or whatever were going to give us, and we can get them in a way where we don't have to be anything other than exactly who we are. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by Blob Marley, and uh, he writes, his issues are severe depression and anxiety, and what's helped you? Dogs. When you're depressed, there's nothing better, for me at least, than having something that physically requires you to get out of bed in the morning, to leave the house during the day for walks, and no matter how shitty you feel about yourself, you always have something to talk about. The addition of always having a little bit of sound and movement in an otherwise quiet house can be cathartic. Uh, what if, and, and let's not forget, uh, when you're having a really shitty day, getting down onto the ground with them and um, just petting them and hugging them and curling up with them. And, um, and it's kind of nice, too, when you're crying and they have no idea what's happening. That's always kind of nice. What have people said or done that's helped you? When someone says, talk to me or come stay at my house for a few days, instead of, if you ever need someone to talk to or if you ever need a place to stay, can I tell you how much I love that you verbalized that? Because we look at it differently when we're the ones saying, if you ever need someone to talk to. But it doesn't feel that way when somebody says it to us. And I never realized it until you wrote this, that what we really should say is, talk to me, you know, come stay at my house for a few days. Yeah, thank you. And then I suppose also be willing to let it go if that person isn't interested you know, to resist the urge to try to fix them. You know, that that fine line between being helpful and controlling, which I will probably find on my 80th birthday. Steve filled out a shame and secret survey. He's straight. He is, let's see how old he is. I put the staple in a terrible place. 
He's in his 40s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. He's never been sexually abused, but he has been physically and emotionally abused. My dad was an alcoholic when I was growing up, and back in the late 70s and early 80s, there was no ADHD diagnosis. I was a rambunctious kid, and it drove my dad crazy. I didn't have the same interests as as him. I enjoyed being outside, running around, playing sports. My dad was a mechanic. When he was a kid, he was always fixing stuff. Uh, He would make me help him in the garage, and I never did anything right. Uh, And he'd let me know verbally and physically. And it wasn't just in the garage. Uh, If I did or didn't shovel the snow right, uh, if I didn't mow the grass right, if I didn't do my homework right or swing the bat just right or take a snapshot or skate right, this coming from someone who didn't play sports growing up. This led me to question every decision I made to the point where I would freeze up, unable to move forward. I wish they would teach in school or to parents who are about to have a kid the importance of understanding the difference between helpfully guiding your child with information and criticizing them into potentially being somebody who is prone to perfectionism, panic attacks, um, and terrified of just leaving the house and having any kind of responsibility. Any positive experiences with the abuser? Over the years, our relationship has gotten better. Uh, He's been sober a long time. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I was very reluctant to call on him for help. But since since his grandkids, he's been better to work with. Darkest thoughts. Death. I think about death of other people uh, that I know. Not that I want them dead, that if they were to die, I probably wouldn't be able to show emotion unless I fake it. Um, Let me make this about me for a second. I was, uh, yesterday, I was sitting at my kitchen table, and I live on, as you can hear in the background, kind of a busy street. And it was mid-afternoon, and all of a sudden, I heard the loudest crash And I went out onto my balcony, and right in front of me, it was clear that a motorcycle had hit a car head-on, and this guy had flown like 50 feet and was laying um, on the sidewalk or driveway, kind of in between, And, um, and he was pretty much motionless, moving a little bit. Thank God he was moving his legs, but... You know, people immediately came, you know, came out of the woodwork and uh, the ambulance was there within three minutes. And I watched as they strapped him and, you know, do the thing they do where they secure you so they don't injure your spine anymore if there's a spine injury. And the whole time I was watching it, I I felt that that kind of low-level nausea 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 that you have when you're seeing something really intense but no sadness no sadness and I've gotten used to that part of myself and maybe those of us who were raised in environments where we had to compartmentalize stuff maybe that's a relic of that but it I understand your shame in feeling shame in not being able to 
cry when you think it's it's appropriate. Um, Darkest Secrets. Uh, I've gotten really angry at my son when he was little, throwing him on the bed, yelling at him, forcefully grabbing him, kind of like what my dad did to me. Thank you for being honest uh, about that. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Group sex, swinging, anal sex, using toys, uh, writing that makes me feel slimy and embarrassed. You should not. You should not. Um, But said the pot to the kettle. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Tell people how much I struggle with depression uh, when snide comments are made at work. Uh, I think they'd be very surprised if I said I battle depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. Um, What do you wish for? To be debt-free? Have you shared these things with others? Yes, my wife, my sister, and my therapist. How do you feel after writing these things down? Angry. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Get help. It's too exhausting to go through this by yourself. Amen. Amen. And thank you for that, Steve. Uh, This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Ezekiel Shade Tree. I have no idea what that means, but I'm a fan. His issues are depression, social anxiety, and bouts of rage. What has helped him? I've attempted to drown out my thoughts uh, with music and heroin in the past. I'm going to say half of that idea is good. Uh, But I've been most successful while smoking medical marijuana. I also used it as a teenager to replace Lexapro, Lexapro, the antidepressant. I'm not a therapist and I'm not a doctor, but I've got to think that there is something better for depression than marijuana because um, marijuana, prolonged and chronic use of marijuana exacerbates um, uh, chronic depression. So in the short run, it may give you some relief uh, from that, but in the long run, it might wind up hurting you. But, um, you know, that's according to what I've heard from uh, psychiatrists and therapists and et cetera, et cetera. What have people said or done that has helped you? While I was in rehab for heroin, I was given the opportunity to work with a counselor who was able to listen intently to everything I had to say about my past before speaking a word. It helped. That's, that is awesome. That is awesome. And sometimes, maybe it's just me, it's hard to do. It's hard to do, to just sit there because for a lot of us, you know, especially fixers and control freaks, we want you to know that there's, I have this idea, maybe this will help you instead of just listening. Any comments to make the podcast better? More talking shit to us, your listeners. I fucking love it. I refuse to do that. I uh, Every one of the listeners is a precious, precious lily-white snowflake falling gently from the golden heavens to this beautiful earth filled with fuck faces. Magda filled out a shame and secret survey, and I'm just going to read part of it. Uh, She's in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, She was uh, 
did experience sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, it was a an ex-boyfriend. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize about cisgender women, but my girlfriend is transgender. It makes me feel bad that I am not primarily attracted to her body type, even though I love her. And since I plan to be with her for the rest of my life, it is kind of a letdown that I will never be able to sexually be with a cisgendered woman again. This makes me feel really shallow that I care about body parts. And I wanted to read this because I wanted you to remember that you should not shame yourself for what turns you on. And I understand that you, you're feeling like you're, you're kind of trapped, but you're not shallow for, for being turned on by body parts. Um, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I really want to talk about my experiences with other eating disordered or depressed people, but there's a lack of support groups in my area. I recently called an old number for a support group, and I was disappointed to learn that it had been discontinued. I've heard good things about a website called In The Rooms. Um, it's in the rooms, either dot com or dot org, maybe maybe both, but they do online uh, support groups. I think most of them are twelve step based, uh, but it would be worth uh, checking out. Uh, what if anything you wish for? I want to be skinny, healthy, balanced, loved, and worthy of love. I'm a high school teacher, so I also want to help my students feel loved and lead healthy lives. Many of them have their own baggage that I try to help them cope with. Sometimes I feel ill-equipped. Uh, you know, my opinion on that is that there is the best healers are wounded healers assuming that they've you know done some healing and uh, gotten some emotional intelligence and experience under under their belt and learned what their issues are so they're not filtering their issues into the person you're trying to help but um yeah, that's my two cents. When whenever I talk to somebody who's like, "Oh, I feel like a fraud because you know I'm studying to be a therapist, and you know here I am, you know wanting to cut," it's like, no, I think that that you will understand your patients or clients. Uh, I think to a degree that somebody that had a perfect childhood and doesn't have any kind of chemical. Um, struggle in their brain uh, will we'll probably never understand. I don't even know where the, how that sentence flowcharted. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to back up. You know, if you are thinking to yourself, Jesus, Paul, don't be so lazy. Just go back and say that in a way that we can understand it. No, fuck you. Fuck you. Go eat a frosted Pop-Tart. And uh, I can't think of anything else. This is an awful moment filled out by counting my blessings, uh, one through ten. And she writes, I've suffered from OCD since childhood. It started out as an obsession with order and symmetry, but it progressed over time to include horrendous intrusive thoughts about killing the people whom I love the most, either accidentally, for example, by leaving the stove on, or intentionally, for example, by stabbing them. Even though I don't have a violent home, a violent bone in my body and 
am incapable of hurting anyone, I try to hide my compulsions, counting and checking, because I was quite ashamed, which is common for people with this type of OCD. I mean, who wants to admit that they obsess over killing their loved ones? Things were getting really bad, and I stumbled across your show, and you convinced me to go get help. I started seeing a therapist, found a medication that works for me, and started attending an OCD support group. I was feeling a lot better, and one night I noticed myself smiling for the first time in a long time. My husband noticed too. Um, I said to him, I think I finally have things under control. I'm feeling so much better. At around noon the next day, my boss called me into his office and handed me layoff papers. Things had slowed down at my small company, and all of my counting and checking had slowed me down quite a bit, making me an easy target for a layoff. That's right. The very day after I started to get out from underneath the OCD beast, I got fired for having OCD. Seriously, fuck my life. P.S. Thank you so much, Paul, for encouraging me to get help. You read a previous survey of mine, and you said you are not weak and you repeated it. It was what I needed to hear at the time and is one of the reasons why I sought help. Things are obviously situationally worse worse for me right now, but I feel better than I did when I was working and was in the throes of mental illness. Thank you, PPS. Uh, I had signed up as a donor as a thank you for helping me again, but I had to cancel because I don't have an income right now. I will sign up again when I get a job again. Um, I love that you got help. That is the most important thing. Um, The second most important thing is that you, for the rest of your life, give me your money. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Savannah, and she's 19. She's straight. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened. Um, Oh, oh no. Uh, Yes, and I never reported it. It was my house help. I don't even remember how it started. It was some time when I was in eighth grade. When my mom would go to work, he would come near me and touch me wrongly, like touch my breasts, and I was terrified to do anything. Eventually, I stopped it by threatening to tell my mom. But it should have never continued after that first time. I should have told somebody. But to this day, I don't know why I didn't, and I will always regret that. You did what most people do. You froze. And that is a thing that our brain does to us. And you are not wrong. You are not weak. That is how your nervous system responded. And it's time to forgive yourself because you did nothing wrong. And I want to fucking high-five you for um, then speaking up. That's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, Any positive experiences uh, with uh, the abusers. Um, Oh, I guess she was also abused uh, by her mom. She writes, my abuser was my mom, but she loves me at the same time. I don't think in her eyes it was abuse. It was just rightful punishment. She never realized how her putting me down or beating me affected me. To her, it is all masked in love. Be another thing that would be great to teach in kindergarten and to people about to have a kid. Darkest thoughts. I think of death not in a scary way, but as a sweet release. When I see buildings, I see how high they are, not their architecture. When I'm crossing the street, I hope a car would just slam into me out of nowhere. If tears were blood, I would be long dead. Wow. Wow. 
That is, uh, that is quite a sentence. If tears were blood, I would be long dead. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great to make t-shirts out of that and then at, at graduation, right as people come up and get their diploma, you also hand them that shirt. Oh, man, I, you know, I like to, I like to joke that sometimes I forget bridges are used to connect two pieces of land. So I don't, uh, I used to enjoy turbulence in airplanes because it's like, okay, now, now I don't have to make the decision to kill myself. Uh, you're not alone in feeling that. And I'm sorry you feel that way. Darkest secrets. I wish I had the words to tell my mom everything that is going on in my head. I look at people or I talk to people and I am praying in my heart, please see my pain. Please help me. That is so beautiful and heartbreaking and 100% human. 100% human. And your mom might not be the best person to have that conversation with. Um, it might be good to to get a little bit of experience sharing what's going on inside you with somebody who is super safe, um, maybe like a, a therapist that a, um, somebody recommends or just trying a therapist. You know, very often you can... You can um, read about them or read uh, and also read what other people say about that therapist. So, um, but yeah, I'm just, I don't want to start running my mouth about there's safe people in the world. I know I say it, uh, say it all the time, but there are, there are, there's so much beauty and love in the world all around us. And when we tap into that, you know, we don't avoid pain or disappointment or loss or any of that other shit. But for me, I get resilience from it and perspective. And that allows me to connect more deeply with other people, which is why I think we're here alive. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My biggest sexual fantasy is not even sexual. I want someone to just pull me back in bed and hug me. Just hug me tight. I really hope you find the love that you that you deserve because you sound like such a beautifully sensitive person. And what you want is totally doable. You want intimacy. You want emotional safety. You want to be heard and seen and felt and loved for who you are. And every person deserves that. She fears, uh, she writes that she is truly messed up. You know, I like to think of it as being wounded, uh, but messed up kind of, uh, you know, insinuates that, that there's no getting better or healing. Have you shared these things with others? No, I don't know how to. I feel that whenever I try, it just comes off 
really immature and silly, like a teenage thing, and I'm scared that all my pain will be invalidated if they don't understand. You know, that is why it is so scary to open up in the beginning to people. But the more we do, the more we begin to get an intuitive sense of who is safe to open up to. Because in the beginning, we don't know. Because we've never experienced it. So, um, and, and it is not, what the things that you're saying are not immature or silly or teenage. Your pain is fucking valid. I mean, all, all of us listening to this can feel it. Can feel it. Just reading some of the stuff you've experienced. Sending you some love. Um, you know what? I might even send you a fro- an unfrosted Pop-Tart. I don't know if I can go b- blueberry because I don't know you that well. So maybe a, a unfrosted strawberry. Why do they not have unfrosted cherry? If If they made an unfrosted cherry Pop-Tart, I seriously would lose my shit. I would be so fucking happy. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself, rewrote this name a million times, feel like my fingers will drop off. And her issues are vaginismus, uh, trauma from rape, and depression. And for those of you that that don't know, vaginismus is um, a pain and the, obviously the, the, the vagina, and um, making oftentimes uh, sex painful. Um, for her vaginismus, what has helped? Using the sensations around me to ground me, uh, the feel of the other person's skin, the texture of the bed covers, and it also helps uh, if the other person caresses me in order to keep me from dissociating. Uh, as far as the trauma from rape, uh, incredible friends, although I really should see a psychologist and get professional help. Contemporary dance has helped me work through a lot of the issues stemming from this, although it has been difficult at times. Uh, performing my final solo that I created based on the rape and abuse in front of my parents was my way of finally telling them and accepting what happened to me. Uh, for her depression, leaving the blinds or curtains open in my bedroom so that the garden outside and the light forces me out of bed. Uh, it doesn't always work when the weather is shitty, but at least I can get up in the summer. Also, on a side note, I drink a lot of good tea. I find that breathing in its aroma helps me come back to the present and interrupt any harmful thoughts. Those are all such great, great suggestions. Um, although I do not see myself embracing uh, contemporary dance. Uh, as tempting it is to see me in a unitard, it might actually traumatize anybody watching me try to work through my stuff. I'd basically be handing my trauma off to somebody else. What have people said or done that has helped you? My friends reminding me of my qualities as a person and truly going to de- into detail rather than just saying how great I am. You guys, this has been a goldmine of suggestions for this survey this week. I'm so glad. My instinct told me, let's not do struggle on a sentence. Let's do what has helped you. And I've already read like three or four things that have, have been like, yes, yes, going into detail. Um, 
That is so good. That is so good. Uh, being reminded that pain and sadness are not permanent. They come and they go. My friends know that I suffer from depression, so when I don't reply to texts and calls for over a week, they leave me voice message after voice message talking me through it. Wow, you have some good friends. That is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you for that. This is a same survey, and this is filled out by Call Me Kate. I think she's filled out our surveys before. And her issues are skin picking uh, and anxiety slash rumination. And uh, what has helped her, uh, YouTube's Dr. Pimple Popper channel has helped with both. I watch it at night sometimes before I go to sleep. I find it relaxing and gratifying. For anxiety and racing thoughts and rumination, um, Apple and iTunes user try color therapy. It's like an online version of adult coloring books. Uh, which I also use sometimes at night when I get into bed. The creativity and somewhat mindless focus have been really helpful. Though, to be 100% honest, I still have to use pills nightly to even fall asleep. Uh, What have people said or done that has helped you? My therapist helps me overcome some of my guilt over things uh, I think about or do with the simple question of, so what? Are you hurting yourself or others? No. Then so what? A thought is just a thought. Whether or not I act on those thoughts is where I really need to be paying attention. Amen. Amen. Uh, Any comments to make the podcast better? After a really, really, really negative experience recently with first responders and the local police, it would be of interest to me to hear more about agencies that are being trained to to appropriately respond and treat people with mental health issues. I was treated so poorly, so harshly, and with zero compassion that I will never call for help again. There needs to be a national conversation on how to help, not further hurt or significantly re-traumatize a person experiencing a PTSD episode. Thank you for reminding us of that. Um, That is super fucked up, man. I really hope, I really hope that changes. And, um, yeah, thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Bianca. She is straight, in her 40s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was a victim of sexual abuse and reported it. I was sexually molested by my brother and was a victim of military sexual trauma in the Navy. I feel like the military could care less about their indentured servants unless the press gets wind of it. I also feel like men who join the military are fulfilling a deep insecurity that they cannot accomplish by buying a Corvette or a Mercedes. Most of you all pussy around them as just that, pussy, basically a blow-up sex doll and not a human being. Growing up, my brother was the same way, and when I told my parents, they honestly didn't know what to do, and when we talked about this later on in life... They pretended it never happened. Wow. Really? That's fucked up. Um, She's been physically and emotionally abused. I was physically abused by my dad and brother and emotionally abused by both my parents and brother. At the time, growing up, it hurt really bad. Then after a while, I realized they were just total losers with nothing going on for them at all. So take it out on the youngest and defenseless. It really bums them It really burns them now that I'm the most successful of the whole family and keep shooting higher. Any positive experiences with abusers? 
They were not always shitty. Sometimes they realized I wasn't their whipping girl, and for example, my brother would take me to the movies. My parents always sent me packages when I was on deployment, and all my coworkers would say, your parents are awesome. And of course, I would think, yeah, if you only knew them like I do. Darkest thoughts. I would really love to kill my brother. First, I would torture him, but then I would kill him slowly by letting all his blood drain out giving him time to think about what a piece of shit he is. But he's really not worth going to prison for. Besides, it's more entertaining to see him ruin his life. Darkest Secrets. I screwed an Iraqi guy just because I could and to see what it would be like to fuck the enemy. He was also married, but I don't recognize Islamic marriage because I believe the Quran is bullshit. Plus, it was war. This is an intense survey. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I really don't have any because I've shut down sexually for most of my adulthood. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Why the fuck do you think it's okay to tell me my business when you can't even get your own shit straight? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish that I had never been adopted by my family. Honestly, for whatever reason my biological parents gave me up, it can't be as bad as the hell my, quote, family put me through and still puts me through. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, and they've told me that it's amazing I've come this far. A less person would have ended it a long time ago. Um, If you want to listen to an episode that... um, uh, although she didn't experience uh, military trauma, um, she was adopted, and I believe she um, was abused by her her brother. I could be wrong, but the the episode with listener um, Julie J, uh, and it's it's and also she had a really really like intensely um, overly religious mom, like like the mom from Carrie. Uh, kind of it's a really compelling episode and one of my one of my favorites um how do you feel after writing these things down it feels like letting out a demon that hangs on to me and pecks at me every once in a while but remembering the pain somehow makes him stronger for a little while until i forget it again um Anything you want to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, hang in there, tell someone, tell an authority figure, tell several people, run away to a shelter. If you live in a country, run to the police. Uh, Run away to to a shelter. If you live in the country, run to the police. Okay. If you are someone who suspects something, do something. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. That's a lot of that's a lot of stuff and it sounds like there's like there's um finding a way to let that anger out would be would be really good really good I never I never realized how much rage I had until I started letting it out it's almost kind of like uh you, you know the the um the water cooler now what the fuck do you call it in your car that keeps it from overheating. <laughs> the radiator. When you take the cap off the radiator, it's like you don't realize how pressurized it was until you unscrew that thing, and it's like, holy fuck, that could have killed me. This is from the What Has Helped You survey filled out by Messy Mind. 
She has social anxiety, OCD, and low mood. What helps her? Honestly, meds help the most. Therapy was a good starting place, but it works best for me accompanied with antidepressants. What have people said or done that's helped you? Um, that life has no meaning or purpose beyond just living. It just allowed me to let go of some of the stress I put on myself to be the most amazing person imaginable. I can slow down and enjoy life. That's interesting. I wanted to read this one because I felt like just the opposite when I when I read that life has no meaning or purpose beyond just living. Um, and it's interesting how one idea or thought can be comforting to another person and to another person, um, it's the opposite. But thank you for sharing that. This is filled out by Lori, and um, she is in her 60s. She's straight. She was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Uh, she was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, orally molested by father from earliest memories, uh, also others. He split. Uh, then I was molested and abused by my stepfather until age 14. Oh, my God. She's been physically and emotionally abused. Stepfather hit me for crying. When I was saying no during sex, there was a lot of violence. Any positive experiences with the abusers? At age 13, I felt I was in love with my stepfather. I enjoyed the sex and his attention. I carried horrible shame until this year. Darkest thoughts. I had carefully planned how to kill myself a couple of years ago, but I'm now in DBT and I'm much better. That uh, stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. Um, and it's also a very, very, uh, helpful, uh, tool to learn for people who live with borderline personality disorder or for the loved ones of people with, uh, borderline personality disorder. Darkest secrets. I'm 63 and I've been in and out of therapy since I was 23. For 45 years, I stuff, stuffed that I quote, allowed my abuser to bring me to orgasm. I have a wonderful psychiatrist and therapist who have helped me to understand the physiology and psychology of an adolescent girl. Thank you for sharing that. And um, listen to the Leah McCord episode. It's a great episode. And she talks about that exact same thing, about the breakthrough she had when she realized that years into her father um, molesting her, um, you know, she was just, she was like your age, like 12 or 13. She initiated it one night and, um, she has for years blamed herself until a therapist helped her see that she had been conditioned by that adult. And even if she hadn't been conditioned by that adult, the adult should know better. The adult should say that's, this is not appropriate. This is, um, Yeah. Sexual fantasies, uh, most powerful to you. I've been married for 34 years, and I had an affair 25 years ago, and I think of him. What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To all the people who have hurt me, just because I seek to find forgiveness in my heart doesn't mean you're not a bunch of assholes. That is a fucking t-shirt. Just because I seek to find forgiveness in my heart doesn't mean you're not a bunch of assholes. We might have to we might have to condense it a little bit. Um, yeah, maybe it would be 
I forgave you, but you're still an asshole. I like how I'm working it out. I'm fleshing it out. I'm workshopping it on the air. What, if anything, do you wish for? I carried horrible shame for having an orgasm with my stepfather, but I knew I had to let it happen to get it over with and get away. I wish I knew then what I know now, how to fake it. Ha ha. If you shared these things with others, I've been fortunate and have had a lot of therapy. How do you feel after writing these things down? I have a sharp, quote, stabbed in the back pain that is associated with how I felt at 13. Well, then I appreciate you forging through that pain and sharing this super, super powerful um, survey with us. Um, I probably don't thank you survey takers enough because you are the second guest of, of the show and have helped me sort my shit out or start to sort my shit out and learn more about you. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone uh, who shares your thoughts or experiences? I was traumatized so severely that I went into shock, first at age seven, when my mom let her boyfriend, later husband, take me to a motel overnight, and second at age 12 when my autonomic nervous system went on overload. Age seven, went into a compartment and my whole life uh, has been the one who does not speak. She has always been with me. At age 12, during molestation, I looked out a window and I went out the window. For 50 years, 50, the only words I had were, I left my body when I was 12. All these years, I kept going back to therapy and kept going back. Finally, I have mental health professionals who have the courage to face my abuse with me and the intelligence to understand physiology, the autonomic nervous system, and brain chemistry. But I have no one who shares my kind of experience. I have no group. I feel so badly for others who have been abused, but I feel so alone. Send me an email because I know of two women um, who I think would be happy to correspond with you and share their experience. Um, And their experiences are fairly similar to to what you described. Um, just a thought, because you are so not alone. And I'd like to say that again, but more like a 13-year-old girl. You are so not alone. <sighs> what has helped you? This is filled out by Rose, who... Uh, writes, I've had dysthymia all my life and several episodes of depression during adolescence as well as two eating disorders that popped up during my college years. What has helped you? Therapy, first and foremost. Also learning how to reach out to others. Uh, I am stubbornly independent. Learning how to be more self-compassionate and reigniting my passion for drawing and sewing so that I have better coping mechanisms. What have people said or done that has helped you? My therapist kept on asking me to slow down and identify the emotion in each situation that led to an episode of eating disorder, which really helped because I have a tendency to push emotions aside and act like nothing happened. It helped me learn that I do have feelings and I need to give myself space to feel. 
Otherwise, the emotion will manifest itself in a very harmful manner, be it caloric restriction, over-exercising, or binging. So much good information in this episode. So much good shit. Thank you for that. Same survey filled out by uh, a, a woman who calls herself Manic Pixie Dream Whore. Um, I'm a fan. Sign me up for her newsletter. She writes, I've struggled uh, with PTSD, eating disorder, depression, and anxiety, also agoraphobia from time to time. What's helped you deal with them? Oddly enough, entering sex work, first as a cam girl, then as an escort, has helped me with a lot of things. Being an entrepreneur allows me to tailor my own schedule around my mood and do work from home uh, when needed. For every hour I have with a client, at least five hours of computer work went into making that appointment happen. It also has helped me be confident about my body uh, and get better at setting boundaries with others. What have people said or done that has helped? Early on, one of my mentors shared with me her story of attending five different schools to finally get her undergraduate degree because of her mental illness. She now has a PhD. I am on my fourth school, and I am almost done, I hope. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by Mina, 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 M-I-N-A. She, I just wanted to read one portion of this, um, she writes, um, darkest secrets, I have still not told my mother that I am bisexual because she once told me that they were all dirty cheaters, that I could be a lesbian, but she would disown me if I liked both. I think this has to do with her mother who cheated on her father with a high school girl. Everyone else in my family knows as well as all my friends, but I still haven't taken the leap to tell her because I feel like she would never look at me the same. Um, it, when you wrote your mother cheated on your father with a high school girl, um, I don't know the details of that, but that sounds like, um, sexual abuse of a minor. Um, but anyway, that's a separate issue. Um, yeah, your, your mom is sick. Your mom is sick, and I'm, I'm glad that you are aware that she's probably filtering her judgments. You know, it's much easier to shame somebody else than to take responsibility for the part of yourself that you're disappointed in, and I do it too. You know, I usually know when I'm getting really aggressive on Twitter at people that there's something that I need to look at uh, in my own life, and that's been one of the best tools I've I've had in recovery. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful Powerful to you. I'm a sub uh, married to someone who was not really until recently into anything other than plain sex. Sharing my sexual fantasies was like ask, asking to share a kitchen sink sundae with someone who was lactose intolerant. That is fantastic. Um, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I am an oversharer. Anything I could have said to anyone, I probably already have, with the exception of my mother. 
ditto. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish people other than my close friends could still see me as a normal person and not somehow tainted because something happened to me. I wish that if my husband and I decided to have children and have sons, they won't too, won't be too afraid or embarrassed or pigeonholed into thinking, quote, boys can only be X, Y, Z. Um, and also to tell us if something happens to them, like my husband was with his family about his sexual assault. Have you shared these things with others? While having a party at one of my friend's houses, she casually stated that everyone in the room had probably been abused in some way. When we called for a show of hands, everyone, including my now husband, raised their hands. We spent the rest of the evening talking about what had happened to us, and instead of feeling like I had done something wrong and deserved what had happened to me, somehow I finally felt like I wasn't alone. That is so fucking beautiful. That's the kind of party I could get out of the apartment for. Well, essentially, that's what support groups are, and I do get out of the apartment for them. Um, but there isn't finger food. Actually, some of the support groups are our finger food. Paul, shut up. Shut your fucking hole, you long-winded cock. I think I might have been a little too hard on myself right there. I don't think so. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel great. I would be nothing without my friends and the people who rallied around me after the things that happened happened. But to look at where I am now, when I know four years ago I wouldn't even be able to process or accept this, is impressive to me. It is impressive. It is impressive. Thank you for that. And then our last survey is a happy moment. Um, starts out not necessarily happy, but um, it's filled out by Small Pastry. And she writes, I hit a new low in my depression today, but it's in a darkest before the dawn kind of way, as I've been putting in a lot of work to my recovery lately. After staring too long into the face of Twitter, my eyes trailed over towards the floor and I kind of melted onto it and out of my chair, clutching a stuffed animal in some kind of attempt of chasing intimacy. As I stared sightlessly into a label on a box across the room that read 10-gallon tote in huge font, I felt some tears slip out and continued to numbly tune out uh, the space. But while consciously tuning into the sound of the rain that was tapping gently against my window. As I started noticing it, it felt like the weather was reflecting my mood, like the universe was on my side saying, hey, I'm with you, friend. And also, don't worry, it'll end soon. I rolled onto my back to watch it out the window and thought to myself how I suddenly felt a great deal less alone. I stretched a little and felt the nice rush of warm muscles before I eventually proceeded to get up snuggle myself in a blanket, clear my inbox, and browse the internet for content that made me smile. The next time I looked out my window, the rain had stopped, too. The universe is a pal sometimes. It really can be. It really can be. I love when I have a great, a great survey to end the show on. I love when I have great surveys to kind of 
have the, the podcast not just be one long stretch of, of darkness. Um, so if any of you out there haven't filled out surveys yet, um, please do, um, especially what has helped you and happy moments and awful some moments. Um, but anyway, I, I hope uh, I hope you got something out of this, and I hope um, to anybody who's a new listener or somebody who feels like they're, you know, maybe backsliding a little bit in their recovery, I I, I hope you feel um, a little bit better, a little more hope, um, and I hope you remember that you're you're not alone, and you never have been. And you never will be as long as you are willing to connect to somebody else. And they're everywhere. And I'm glad I did because I wouldn't be alive if I hadn't done that 13 years ago. So thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.